What's happening, everybody? I'm Nolan. Stacy Glover. Melanie. <laughs> You're lifting the cinema <laughs> parlor. How you guys doing? I Good. feel very lethargic today. I'm not going to lie. Hey, I do too. I feel super, super tired. Like, I'm ready to record and I'm happy to be here with you guys, mm -hmm. but I haven't slept great for like a, a long time. Well, that's... I'm sorry. That's a bummer. Mm -hmm. I'm... I'm kind of out of it, too. I had a long week of work, like a lot of people, so mm -hmm. nothing special. Just, you know, but we're here. I'm feeling great. Thanks for asking. You look it, too. So in today's episode, we've got a uh, a special episode for you guys. Uh, we're going to be talking about some of our favorite things and discoveries from the year that was 2020. I guess, first and foremost, what's everybody drinking today? Stacy? It's from Crooked Stave, Denver, Colorado. It's the Sunshine State. Petito. Gorgeous. It's a milk stout brewed with cocoa, cinnamon, cayenne, and vanilla. It's pretty tasty. It's a little, it's a big silver can. It's got a bunch of different colored duckies on it. Little duckies. Yeah, they're, they're pretty cute. It's, it's a them. cute can. A powerful beer, cute can. Yes, indeed. Uh, Melanie, what are you drinking on over there? Okay, so... Nolan, you said that you wanted something with whiskey and cranberry. I did. So I took that, and I made us a drink. It doesn't have a name, because we just made this, and I don't have time for that. But I did <laughs> whiskey, club soda, some sour mash, which I use sour mash that's real juice, not the like super sugary stuff, so it tastes really kind of got a bite to it. That's right. And then cranberry. It's a lovely drink. It's really refreshing. It's refreshing. It's it's got some some pep in it, getting me, getting this like down feeling kind of up. I'm, I would say like we were at like a two. We had mm -hmm. a sip. I think it kicked it up it, to a four. I would agree. Yeah, so. good drink. You guys need to get your head in the game. Hey, we're we're here, man. I am also drinking a beer, uh, a Melbourne Tree Line. This is a smoked imperial porter with maple syrup. But I'm gonna drink the whiskey first. All right. Because that's what you got to do when you get in your 30s. Is it beer before liquor, never been sicker? That's that right. Mm -hmm. Yeah, but I don't think any of that matters. Anytime I drink heavily, I usually get sick either way. So I just right. don't drink heavily. I don't know. I Because I've talked to a few people about the show, and I feel like that they think that we're drunk every time. <laughs> really, we're just dumb. We're just out of our minds. So we have this going on today, our our discoveries and, and our, our favorite stuff from 2020. I just want to start off by saying this is nothing new. Like everyone else, it was a long year. I watched a good amount of movies this year. Like I watched, I think, somewhere in the 300s, over 300 movies. Like I'm not disappointed in myself, but I also feel like I could have watched a lot more stuff. But I, I found it difficult at times to be motivated i deal with anxiety and depression which a lot of people do and one of the drags on that especially in this last year is when there's nothing for you to try to get out of that headspace a lot of times you you find yourself stuck and kind of just in a bad place and so my thought on that was when stuff like that happens i spend a lot of time just sitting doing nothing or watching television that i have that I know, something like easy comfort. to consume. Yeah. Comfort televisions. You know, I, I think I watched the Gilmore Girls whole series like twice through last year, for instance. Um, things like that. So, no, I it was, it. yeah, it was I a worn down year. I a lot of TV as well, like stuff I'd seen, and I would just put stuff on in the background and just keep replaying it. Again, it's a comfort thing, for yeah. sure. 
Stacey, you don't do that. You just play video games. I watched more movies this year than I had the last couple years. How many movies did you watch? 389. And I also watched a few TV shows all the way through. Like, you know, I, I've been updating you guys on my Ultraman watches. I, you know, finished those first two shows. And, uh, you know, I, I watched, or I played a lot of video games too. So I, I tend to... I don't do the, like, sitting around doing nothing thing. Like, I'm not... I know a lot of people do do that. And I, you know... You just I, said doo-doo. Yeah. <laughs> Nailed it. I gotta keep doing stuff. Or else, like, if I'm not using every single minute of my day doing something, then I would get depressed. Like, that's the type of person I am. Where it's like, ev everything has to be towards progressing on something. Mm -hmm. This year made me realize, preparing for this show... I actually, because I have a letterbox, but I, I got it because people were kind of being a lot with letterbox. They were very intense about their their list and reviews and their ratings, and I mm -hmm. hear about it a lot. So I was just kind of like, I'm never going to do that. Like, it's just too much. People mm -hmm. take it too seriously. So I started one, and I just reviewed sci-fi channel monster movies. Preparing for this, I cannot remember what I watched from 2020, so I had a really hard time. <laughs> So I think I'm breaking down and I'm actually going to start recording all my stuff. So 2021, it's a new year. It's a new me. A new Mel, new year. With that being said, uh, I think we should just jump into this, into these lists. Are you guys Are you guys ready? Is there any anything more anybody wants to say about the year that was? So typically in the past we've done like best of the year type stuff. This is going to be a little different because the year was just so weird. And I think we all had very different experiences. And so we just wanted to bring some levity. And, you know, most of my stuff is kind of nonsensical, shorter things. Um, I, I think the big thing that we're talking about is, like, just discoveries and new things. Nolan, you did a traditional, like, best of 2020. But I'm sure that comes with the caveat of, like, you haven't seen nearly everything. Yeah, I, uh, I, did, a, I did a top ten list of 2020. Um, which we'll talk about towards the end of this episode because there are a great deal of things I didn't watch. Um, you know, uh, my thought on 2020 was it was probably the, the, the least interested I was in new movies since I have been into film. Well, like, I just didn't care. Like, I feel the same way, man. Like, I, if you'd asked me to do a list, like, right now, I, I've watched, you know, several films, but I could only come up with two that I actually have any passion towards. That's fair. Now, I, you know, I watched, I probably watched, I'd say, maybe in the 40s or 50s of new movies from 2020, but there's a lot I didn't see. I did, ha I do have 10 that I like, the 10 that I list, I fully embrace and I love them. So, I mean, it's not a, I would say the list I will have is not something I'm not proud of, but I know that, like, in a year, it could very easily change once I see the number of movies I haven't seen. Can I say that I'm not proud of it? Yes. <laughs> All right. But yeah, so to start, like, for my main list, I'm going to do a 2020 discovery. So I am mostly going to be talking about a top 10 of movies here that were new to me that were not 2020 movies. Um, first time watches. So we're going to interject here and there and... All right. Give you some breakdowns. I like that. All right. 
Well, let's get into it. I am going to start. Uh, I this is the one list of mine that I actually numbered here, and I've got a uh, standard ten to one that I will be doing. So number ten on my film discoveries twenty twenty list, I've got the Keep from nineteen eighty three, directed by Michael Mann. Now, we did a episode. Did we do an? I think we did an episode. Did we do an episode? Not on the Keep. We didn't do an episode on the Keep. We, we talked about we the did, Keep. We, we did talked an about it. Episode about Manhunter. Manhunter. That we, That's right. Thank you, you and I both talked about. We um, we talked about it then a little bit on an episode, so we didn't go full in depth on it. So, if anybody's listened to our past episodes, they know I'm a big fan of this movie. Uh, this was my first watch uh, of this movie, and uh, I loved the hell out of it. Uh, basically, uh, this was uh, a movie that is known as being... Um, I would say there are, there are a lot of... There are people that like this movie, but it's not one that... It's a movie known that it was edited down quite a bit. Um, it, there's like, there was like a three, three and a half hour cut. It got cut down to what, 90 minutes, something like that. I know. We got the Zack Snyder yeah. Justice League movie and all I want is the three and a half, four yeah. hour key. Would you say this is the Heaven's Gate of horror films? Hey, you know, except Heaven's Gate got to actually end up having a Blu-ray mm-hmm. and a, a shown like what, a three and a half hour version of that movie. Which I wish someday this would come out. Uh, I doubt it'll ever happen, but... Yeah, I can't imagine he's got, like, much passion for this film either. Right. Uh, I will say the soundtrack is so good. Uh, yeah, the visuals are so good. There's, a like, just a certain feeling with this movie. It sends you in a location that, for me, I'd, I'd felt I'd never seen or been a part of before in the film world. And, uh, yeah, I've just really embraced this movie, so... We watched it together. Yeah, I mean, we've, we've talked about it. I think all of us like this movie. Yep. The whole music cue for Tangerine Dream does the, the soundtrack, and it's brilliant. But there's a <clears throat> sequence whenever they're going into, you know, the underground bunker, and they hit the cross. That whole sequence of that song yeah. that mm-hmm. plays, I'm not sure what that track's called, but the yeah. visuals and all the smoke that comes out, the lighting, mm-hmm. it's one of the most metal... Michael Mann moments. Yeah. Rubber tyrant evil wizard man. Oh, yeah. The, the monster in the film. Looks amazing. Which yeah. I get, like, if you read about the book or read the book, like, the story, because I feel like the story in the movie is not presented in a good way, but, like, that doesn't matter, mm-hmm. you know, because it's just, you're there for the ride. But it, it's, like, wizards battling. Yes. Like, the bad guy's wizard who's it's, locked away. It's way more fantastical. And, uh,. Um, Scott Glenn, is he the main star? Yes. Um, so he's like a good wizard or somebody that possesses the body of somebody who, like, he was a wizard. Yes. I don't know. It's it's more... Read about the book. It's weird. I have the book if you ever want to read it. Nice. Well, yeah. Uh, I, I, yeah. Love that. Love the film. Pumped that we got to see it. Uh, for those that are interested, it, it, it tends to stream once in a while on Amazon. I got a, a newer dvd like and it didn't look bad i mean for dvd quality so no it was, it was a pretty decent transfer yeah i'm sure that's the same thing that they use for right amazon when it's on there yep so those interested in seeing it you can can find it in both of those forms so that is my number 10 number nine here i've got uh tetsu the iron man this is 1989 
directed by Shinya Sukamoto. I hope I said his name right. So if I didn't, I apologize. This is a, a very insane film. It's a nasty piece of work. <laughs> that it is. Uh, it's uh, all shot in black and white. This was Sukamoto's first film, I believe. Um, I wrote on my letterbox, a psychological binding of sex and violence that burst through a nightmarish kinetic aesthetic. Delightfully deranged, I believe. Uh, this is something where uh, you see a person uh, who has like a drill penis, basically, that gets... <laughs> who gets... Uh, violated there's a lot of weird stuff callbacks to our jason x there you coverage. go love it maybe that's what was on my mind while watching jason x who knows that's so you know <laughs> i feel like you watched tetsu after maybe I, yeah. <laughs> maybe jason x yeah. was on your mind and you watched tetsu hey you know it could be uh either way there's 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 a lot of a lot of weird shit in this movie a lot of ins a lot of outs that's right like a cronenberg <laughs> metal thing yeah you could look at it that way i'd say uh but yeah it's 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 a really great movie. Uh, I it I watched it through Arrow put out a box set of uh, ten of his movies this year, and it's a lovely set. And this is the only one I've watched so far. I need to watch more because I loved it. Uh, he did a second tattoo iron uh, film after this. I haven't one. seen that. Okay. That would be fun to watch together. Sometime. Yeah, I haven't seen any of them. Uh, I think you would enjoy yourself greatly. Um, so yeah. Uh, it's on Blu-ray. I'm sure you can stream it on places like Shutter. I think it was on there for a while, but uh, it is definitely a uh, a crazy mashup of of visuals and sound that uh, delighted me. So. And body horror. And body horror, absolutely. <laughs> it's a lot of yes. lot of body horror. So that is my number nine. Well, let me cut in. Yes, I have biggest disappointments of 2020. Okay, so I uh, I jotted down six. But it's kind of a five thing. These these first two are related in some way. And that's Doom Eternal and Last of Us 2. Video games. Okay. And now I, I don't think they're bad games. That's why I think I think it's interesting because like I don't think they're bad games. I'm sure that if you if you're into video games, you've heard coverage of Last of Us 2 and people like shitting on it for different reasons and like harassing the voice actresses. And I that was something that I found we I think we talked about it on an episode but people were sending Laura Bailey death threats because she oh, something man. that happens in the game mm -hmm. and it that's absolutely disgusting. So it's messed up. First of all, my my qualms with Last of Us too. It is Naughty Dog's best playing game by a country mile. Like I love the Uncharted games, but like I put those on easy. Like they're not fun to play games. The gunplay is not good. I like the puzzles are fun. The puzzles are fun, and I think climbing around on stuff is is fun. But that's probably better in Assassin's Creed. Yeah. There, there are games that do that stuff better. And Last of Us, fun game. Um, I think what's so cool about the first game is like the story is so tight, and that's a problem with the second one. The story isn't as tight, and it's not particular moments or even like the perspective shift that happens in the game. It just feels like it goes on too long. And I also think that, like, maybe the content, like, maybe I'm just done with, like, I'm not interested in Walking Dead anymore. I'm not interested in, like, end of the world, zombie, despair, like, we are the evil ones, people. And it deserves all the accolades it's getting. It's just, it's one that 
you know, I kind of struggled to finish. Uh, Doom Eternal, on the other hand, it's... So, that game is not as good as its predecessor. I was so excited for it. I got a new graphics card for it. And the gameplay, like, shooting things still feels great. Soundtrack's still great. Soundtrack's awesome. But they added, like, platforming. And 3D platforming's always terrible. Unless it's, like, Mirror's Edge. 3D platforming's bad. And there's, like, just so many different, like, things you have to keep track of in it. It just, it doesn't have the visceral feel that the first game does. And they put it out an update during the summer where I couldn't play it for, like, three or four months. Because I didn't want to do, like, the workaround stuff of, like, deleting files to, like, hmm. make it work. I don't know. But it's working now. I, I started back up, you know, in 4K on the nice monitor. Should I play it or should I sell my copy? Oh, you should play it if you bought it. I bought it, but I've never played it. Yeah. Well, you you missed out on all the dumb stuff with the updates. You're pretty good. I guess that's true. You, you have it on computer or PS4? PS4. Oh, yeah. I see you. You wouldn't have worried yeah. about it in the first place. Fair enough. You could have been rocking and rolling the whole time. But so killing demons and rocking out. Good <laughs> games, just a little disappointing for me. Okay. Mm-hmm. Next, Bad Boys for Life. Mm-hmm. So I think all of us were excited for this movie, and critics. Gave this movie like the best reviews out of all the Bad Boys films. And everybody's talking about how it was such a good film. I think it's the highest grossing movie of 2020. Right? Because it's like the only blockbuster to come out before the shutdown. It came out in February. Or January. Somewhere in there. I I didn't think this movie was that good. I was disappointed by it. I also have a list of disappointments for movies. And this this was number one on mine. I was very excited. I love Bad Boys. Love love Bad Boys too. I thought this was going to be so much fun. And it, it was just a letdown. I honestly don't remember that much about it. Which I, I, I recall films I, really well. Will Smith has a kid who's trying to assassinate them. And you find out that the kid is a case that Will Smith worked, like, mm-hmm. hooked up with his mom, who was a drug lord, like, mm-hmm. in the 90s, before the first movie. <sighs> yeah. It, it wasn't that great. Another one. Disappointment. This is more of... I'm disappointed in myself. Hmm. I tried to I tried to play Earthbound in 2020. Earthbound, masterpiece on the Super NES. Everybody hails it. I couldn't get into it. I probably went through half the game and it just it didn't stick for me. I didn't like the combat. I can understand why people love it. That's what I was gonna ask. Can you understand why it's so Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. And I wish I was enjoying my time with it, but and if you played Earthbound, you're gonna know what I'm talking about. When you're in the desert trying to find those boss moles, that's annoying. <laughs> mm-hmm. And then you're in a mall at one point, and it gets overran by weird zombie freaks. That stuff I didn't like. It's just got weird spikes in difficulty. And also, I just thought it was a lot of the same. Like, you're doing chores. But it's very quirky and very funny. I understand why people like it. I wish I liked it more. Next disappointment for Stacy. So, we talked about this on the show, because Bond was supposed to come out early in 2020, so I did a Bond marathon, right? Goldeneye. That movie sucks. Mm. Pierce Brosnan's movies suck, like he is the worst Bond, but Goldeneye, I, I feel like it's one of those, like, everybody remembers it. Well, and especially it's like, at a oh, certain yeah. age, because you played that game on, like, if you had Nintendo mm-hmm. 64, you had slap fights. But I think everybody friends. remembers liking GoldenEye. Yeah. I, I think everybody's like, yeah, you know, the Pierce Brosnan movies aren't good, but at least GoldenEye's great. Nope, GoldenEye sucks. 
I just, I just keep thinking. I, so on Goldeneye on Nintendo 64, I played that game a lot like everybody else. Yeah. Like, I was really bad at multiplayer. Like, so I would always get like... Where's the ammo? Where's the ammo? Most afraid. Yeah, most, most cowardly. Most cowardly. Things like that. But like, mm-hmm. I did play the single player as well. And one of the things like... I, anytime I've ever played video games all my life, I get distracted very easily. So, like, I'll find something ridiculous, and then, like, I will go off the beaten path and just, like... That's why you that's love open-world games. Yeah. This, I think this game was the one that started... Your love like, for my, that. For that, because, so, it's, like, the second level. It's, like, uh, the, the, the facility Yeah, area. it's... Uh-huh. That's, that's yeah. where... That's the best level. <laughs> you go in the area, and there's, like, this the scientist Boris, I believe... We would just make, like, I remember playing it, and and I would just get fascinated, and I would I'd kill him. And I would laugh hysterically every time to see how many different ways I could shoot and kill Boris. And then I would, Boris, I would just say that mm-hmm. over and over. As you go up to kill him? Yep. Hey, Boris. Yep. <laughs> anyway, sorry. I just had to, no! had to throw that in. That's a good. Goldeneye, bad movie, good game. <laughs> it is a great game. So, what's your, is... Is that your... It's not my biggest disappointment. Oh, no. I mean, it's probably... GoldenEye definitely was, like, the most shocking disappointment. <laughs> but here we go. Color Out of Space. Mm. I wanted to like this movie. I think it's from the producers of Mandy. Like, I think that's how they advertise it anyways. And it's Lovecraft. A Richard like... Stanley film. Yeah, Richard Stanley... Who, he did what, like one and a half movies before this? He did that hardwired film from the 80s and then... He's had an unfortunate He got fired off of uh, Island of Dr. Moreau. And he was a part of that documentary that was really interesting about that movie. But, I thought this movie wasn't very good. I was excited, I was down. There just really hasn't been good Lovecraft movies. No. Reanimator's like it. In the Mouth of Madness, which isn't based on a Lovecraft thing particularly that's the best version of that type of a story this was on my so i had a list of disappointments as well um i just did three but bad boys 2 was on there and then lake mungo which is not Mm -hmm. um a 2020 film but it was a film i watched early early in 2020 um that people have talked about i was so excited for that movie and it was just a disappointment it's not Mm -hmm. a bad film at all i think it was probably too hyped up for me uh, and I definitely recommend watching it. But Color Out of Space was my biggest disappointment of something I was super excited about because I loved Mandy so much. I loved the soundtrack. I loved the visuals. I think it's a great Nicolas Cage performance. Legitimately, I think he's wonderful in it. I think he hits all the right notes wherever he, he feels this great despair and he's out of his freaking mind in the bathroom. Five-minute sequence is, mm-hmm. like, one of my favorite mom- moments from that film year. Color Out of Space. Did you watch this, Nolan? Did, okay. In the, uh, the words of uh, the Midwest folk, I thought it was fair to Midland. <laughs> I... Not a fan. I was not a fan. You know, the thing about it is, I they're up in the, um, the attic of the house in the, in the movie. There's a couple of really cool creature moments up there. Sure. Where the makeup, you can tell there's digital inlays, but mm-hmm. like there's a really cool practical yeah. effect as a base. Looks great. And I love, purple is my favorite color. I was so excited for this. The purple looked real stupid, and I just didn't like it. I did not like this film. I was mm-hmm. so disappointed. And this was another one that people, people talked it up so much. I would say we are probably in the minority. We all three agree on that yeah. none of us liked it, which is... Nicolas Cage is not good in this film. Yeah, I agree. 
it was one where I think the director just like, all right, you're going to do whatever you want. Fully engaged. Mm-hmm. I, maybe it is brilliant. I don't know. Yeah. So I step on your choices. No, no, no. I just wanted to throw my, again, my disappointments. It mm-hmm. was film based, but you know, you hit all my thoughts on Bad Boys 3. Where I can't remember the subtitle. Bad Boys for Life. I don't remember that much. And I just, it was not funny. It was a disappointment. This is something that you touched on with your first mm-hmm. choice, Nolan. Yes. So my most watched director from this, from 2020, was definitely Michael Mann. Okay. I watched, I went on a huge run where I was watching so many Michael Mann films, and I went out and I bought a ton of Tangerine Dream soundtracks on vinyl. Damn right. So that was a big thing I had going this year to kind of get me out of my weird headspace, which it worked. It helped. Yeah. But so. A real quick side note. In my opinion, may not be the best choices, but like just buying stuff sometimes mm-hmm. can help your mental state. Just yeah. throwing that out there. Mm-hmm. I bought a lot of shit this last year as far as like films and things well, that just kind of make you happy on some degree. Yeah, and I will say that we, our whole friend group, uh, where we are, we have been taking things very seriously. Sure. So, We've all been very, 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 very isolated. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, there, there was, I don't know, there was something about putting on, like, the Legend soundtrack by Tangerine Dream and just laying down the floor and having my galaxy light mm-hmm. going and just, like, yeah, having a moment. It felt really good. But yeah. uh, for, so Michael Mann is definitely my most watched. In addition to it being the year of Michael Mann for me, it was really the year of Manhunter. Mm-hmm. I... I think I ended up watching that movie three, maybe four times total in 2020. I bought the soundtrack on vinyl. I got a original one sheet of the poster. I would say... Don't forget uh, your awesome mug. That is true. One of my beautiful, (laughs) talented, amazing friends made me a uh, Manhunter mug, which I'm pretty sure I posted a picture of online. If not, I'll I'll post another. Yeah, the beautiful William Peterson Mm -hmm. purple shorts. Again, my favorite color really shining through this year as well. Mm -hmm. But, yeah, I would say this was the year of Manhunter, the year of man. Watching, in particular, obviously Manhunter, but watching Heat and Thief, Mm -hmm. those were really good rewatch experiences for me this year. Man's a very interesting filmmaker, so, I don't know, he carried me through 2020. I don't know why it became that, but it did. I love it. I mean, I think it's a, a great path to be on. Mm-hmm. And then us watching The Keep, that was yeah. that was another really, really uh, good... We're going to have to watch uh, Black Hat in 2021. I haven't seen Black Hat. I'm excited for you to see it. I've never seen it. I've heard terrible, terrible, terrible things. <laughs> I, I am one of its biggest uh, supporters, so I mean... And it appreciates your support. You know? What can I say? I don't think there's a Michael Mann film that I could dislike those so that yeah he's definitely one of my favorite living directors i don't know again i just there's something about him yeah absolutely but yeah so i just wanted to to tag that in to lead in with what you guys had already said yes very good all right well with that being said i'm going to move into my number eight film discovery of 2020 so next up on my list i've got all the president's men from 1976, directed by Alan J. Peculia. I think that's how you say his name. Peculia. Peculia. Uh, have either of you seen this movie? Nope. Okay. I really want to. I have it. Well, 
is brilliant. Uh, this is about the uh, two journalists that work from the Washington Post that broke the story of Watergate and President Nixon. This is all. This is you know based on true events, and it's uh, supreme, uh, expertly directed. It's very well acted by Robert Redford and uh, Hoffman. Uh, yes, uh, Dustin Hoffman. They give outstanding performances. Uh, yeah, it's such a good movie. Like one of the things that stood out about that movie for me, and I'm just I'm gonna riff off my mind here, so I hope this works out. But uh, there, there's like a scene early on, and, and I know that both of their in real life politics were different, the two journalists. There's a scene where they go and visit someone that was in on the Watergate stuff, and they're talking to him uh, about the situation. They're trying to get some answers and some stuff that they can put in the paper. And at one point, the guy they're interviewing says, you know, I'm a Republican, so he's like, you know, he's on Nixon's side. He's not wanting to work with them very well. And I don't know where, like, Redford's character is like, oh, I am too. And as he said that, like, Hoffman's character just kind of, like, looks at him strangely, but doesn't say anything. And throughout the rest of the movie, like, it's never brought up again. They still work together as closely as they did at the beginning of the film. And their main point was to break the story and find the facts. And I think that's something very valuable, especially in this day and age, to like think about. Like, it shouldn't matter when you're, especially when you're working for the press, what your political beliefs are. You should be trying to do what's good for the country and try to find facts. Well, in and, that case, it's the story that you're covering, like right. that, mm-hmm. just finding the truth, doing your job. Yeah. yeah, exactly. And I know it's like a small moment, but for me, it really was. No, I can see how quite that would impactful. Be profound especially for this yeah. past year so anyway love that movie highly recommend it Kieran shaman's gonna come after you now bring it on shaman <laughs> <laughs> all right uh next up at number seven i've got in the heat of the night another heavy hitter this is 1967 directed by norman jewison have either of you seen this yeah. i have not mm-hmm. okay but i like norman jewison it's really good yeah we actually uh uh, didn't he uh, uh, direct uh, Moonstruck? Moonstruck, which we also watched uh, last year, which I highly enjoyed that movie as well. Uh, yeah, and The Heat of the Night uh, kind of blew me away. Uh, I, it's a movie I again known about for a long time. This was this was a fun year for me to actually just get to like some big movies that I hadn't seen. Um, this was nominated for Best Picture the same year that you know Body and Clyde and The Graduate were. So this was kind of a, one of those seismic shifts in American cinema. Um, but this man, this film just blew me away, man. Uh, the acting of Sidney Poitier and Rod Steiger in this movie as Sidney as Virgil and Steiger as, as Bill Glepsey blew me away. Their chemistry is so good and it deals with race relations in quite an impactful way still today, in my opinion. And it's also, you know, kind of a procedural detective movie as well and beautifully shot beautifully edited it just blew me away to be honest melanie phenomenal film i think the acting's amazing yeah that's my number seven chime in (laughs) best old games that i've played in 2020 so some of these games i've played before some of these played for the very first time but these are games i spent a lot of time with 
So, Parasite Eve, originally released, I think in 1998 on the PS1. It's a sort of strategy action RPG where you're a cop in New York City and you're fighting a monster made of mitochondria. The whole story's weird. It's about mitochondria and sperm. And Sounds exotic. Yeah. It... It is a cool game. I really enjoy the combat system. I like that, like, with your equipment, you feed guns into other guns, which is very similar to, like, a bunch of, like, the card games that are on mobile now. Like, you're feeding, you know, things to make them more powerful. So, I thought that was satisfying. And I think that, you know, Square is remaking all their games right now. That wouldn't be a bad one to remake. Yeah. It's a good one. Another one I played, Castlevania, Rondo of Blood. First time I beat this one. I played through most of the Castlevania games. I've talked about them on the show. I'm a big fan. Rondo of Blood originally came out for the TurboGrafx-16, which is not something that was really popular over here. And I don't even think that version came out over here because it was on the CD version of that system. It's like Akamoju Dracula X. Yeah. We got the Super NES version. Like It's a really bad port called Dracula X. You know, the art's good, but the gameplay is not nearly the same. But Rondo of Blood is probably most famous over here for being the lead-in to Symphony of the Night. Um, the very first, like, part of Symphony of the Night's the end of that game. But I really liked it. It's got, like, weird anime cutscenes and, you know, different characters that you can choose from and different paths. And I thought it was a very good Castlevania game. All right. Command and Conquer. So that had a big release this year. They did an anniversary edition on uh, the computer. So it was the Command & Conquer and then Red Alert they uh, remastered and put together. I played the original Command & Conquer on PlayStation though for my playthrough and played through the good guys stuff. I really enjoy those games. Uh, it's a fun strategy game. It's one of the first big ones that came out after uh, uh, Dune 2000 and Warcraft uh, for that style of game. And it's got these awesome cutscenes. Some of them are kind of like famous now, like the Tim Curry yelling "Space." That's from a uh, Command and Conquer game, but it's got those live, uh, you know, FMVs. A lot of fun. Final Fantasy IX. That's one I put a lot of time in this year. It's the last Final Fantasy game that they put out on the original PlayStation. Uh, it came out, I think, in two thousand two thousand one, and I think it came out when the PS two was already out. So. I don't think as many people played that one as seven or eight, you know, is still Final Fantasy so super popular, but it's a really good game. It kind of harkens back to the old Super Nintendo style of games where it's more like fantasy, not sci-fi, and it's about crystals and, you know, thieves with monkey tails and stuff like that. It's just a very fun uh, classic style game. And then Streets of Rage 2. So they came out with the new Streets of Rage full... Uh, four this year that I have not played yet but that's a series that's big on Sega and I never played through them so I went through uh, the first three and I really enjoyed them I'd say Streets of Rage 2 is the pinnacle of that series that I played it's probably one of the the best beat-em-ups in that like subgenre, you know Final Fight and the arcade style mm-hmm. um, you know like the Turtles games and I was very impressed with it and it seemed like it was very much influenced by films like Streets on Fire and other, you okay. know, things like uh, Walter Hill movies. 
Nice. So I... That sounds fun. Yeah, I enjoyed it. Great soundtrack. Good old games. Very nice. Melanie? This is an unofficial list that I have, but since we talked about video games, I think the three things that I probably played the most, and I talked about this a lot whenever we did uh, recordings last year, but it's probably Persona 5. Played, I don't know how many hours into that game, and then they released Royal, so I started it from the beginning. So I just have been like working my way up slowly to back back to where I was. I was interested in that game. Starting with Persona four or five would be mm-hmm. would be great. You don't they don't follow you don't have to play them in order. They don't have continuity between storylines, but they're very good games. And the music is great. J Poppy. Yeah. But that's probably the game I played the most and then I you know, I played at the beginning of the year, uh, kind of before things got too bad. I was I restarted Oblivion again. I've, I've never beat the main story in Oblivion, I've, but I love that game. I know I haven't. I've never beat Skyrim either, which I'm, I, 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 I'm playing Skyrim half my life because Skyrim time. It's my uh, Oblivion's my favorite. Elder Scrolls games for sure. uh, many of them. Again, I didn't play that much Skyrim, but I really I love Oblivion. I didn't play video games that much, but I did watch a ton of television. Big things that I really enjoyed, and not all of this was brand new. Hannibal, obviously that's like, Mm -hmm. what, 10 years ago, whenever that was like starting up. Maybe not quite that long. Seven? Yeah, something like that. Seven years ago. Way late to the party. Hannibal was great on a real Thomas Harris kick this year. So Hannibal, amazing. Mads Mikkelsen, also amazing. He's a great actor and a beautiful man. Amazing in in the role as Hannibal. Um, another show that is older, but I found a new appreciation for because, again, you just need to laugh. Metalocalypse. Mm, yeah, that is a funny show. Uh, funny thing on that show, <laughs> like something that literally freaked me out in life. When I, it's an episode in the first season, I think. The bass player, the goofy looking dude uh-huh. with Murder the bass. Yeah. He's peeing into a bot. A, like a body of water, they're on a boat or something. Yeah. He's peeing into it, and you see parasites from the ocean or lake or whatever he's in, like come up through his pee and into his dick hole. Is that when they're recording on the boat and they're like, <laughs> so. they're recording underwater? Yeah. Is that like, episode? I was freaked out so bad. I was like, oh my God. I love that that, that show of all things traumatized you. That's amazing. <laughs> For newer things, uh, obviously the first season. It's older, but I just went through Mandalorian, finished season two. Once they start airing, just save them and watch them all at the end. It's a super short, like the seasons are short, the episodes are short. So you can watch it. Like if you want to do two hours each night, you'll watch it in a day or two. Like it's, it's so, it's such a short thing. It's, I'm down for whatever. If they're going to keep doing Star Wars shows, I would prefer that to Star Wars films. Pedro Pascal's I'm Down Another with Another beautiful man, beautiful actor. Beautiful, beautiful man. We'll get there. I was going to say, there, there's he had a, a rough 2020 as well, though, didn't he? He had a bit, yeah. Yeah. I'll just go ahead and... Go ahead. I mean, it. I just had, like, I was just going to name this randomly, but, like, the new Wonder Woman 1984, I think, was the worst, maybe the worst movie I saw last year, just in general. I try to usually watch things I'm interested in. I was interested in the movie, but 
I, I was not a fan of that movie whatsoever. It's really bad. So I'm sorry. Is, is to Pedro people. bad in it? Because you guys both. Said I think yeah. he is. And Seth, I I love again. Is I Christian I think Wade he bad? is. Yes. Yeah. And again, I like both of them. Yeah. Lot, not ripping them. At, you know. Well, they didn't write it. Right. It's, I would say everybody in the cast, like I like in other stuff. Like sure. you like Chris Pine, right? Oh yeah. I love Gal Gadot. He's bad in this. Yeah. Yeah, Gal Gadot. Gadot. Hey, however you say her name. Like I like her. Yeah, but it's a bad movie. Yeah, it was. It's pretty brutal, and it's like it is, you know, like a lot of new movies. It's long; it's like two and a half hours, and uh, that needs to stop. It was, uh, it was a rough, rough go. But you know, I think that I maybe would... skip Wonder Woman nineteen eighty four. Just watch Mandalorian. There you go. It, it, Nolan, you're not big on on Star Wars as a whole. I think you would really enjoy the soundtrack. Yeah, didn't was, the guy who uh, the guy soundtrack who did Tenet, Tenet, Yeah, uh, Ludwig Gordon. Yeah, Gordon. Mm-hmm. Which. That's another thing. Yeah. Tenet is another thing we'll talk about later. But yes, we will. Soundtrack for Mandalorian is great. Soundtrack for Tenet is great. So highly recommend. Yeah, I, I, uh, I might try and watch that show sometime. Yeah. Well, I've heard, heard good things. Why do you hate Star Wars? Oh no, God. we're not getting into this. Just as Nolan watched a ton of Gilmore Girls, mm-hmm. I watched a ton of Bob's Burgers and nice. Archer. Nice. Which, if you haven't, go back watch Frisky Dingo, watch Archer. So I'm going to move on into my film discoveries list at number six. We've got Singing in the Rain, 1952, directed by Stanley Donan and Gene Kelly. Have either of you seen this movie? I love this movie. I've seen segments, but I've not watched the movie in full. Yeah, well, this this movie is fantastic, like Melanie said. I had a blast watching this movie. Like the thing, I think I've said this on the podcast before. I love musicals. I have not seen enough of them. So that's something I am trying to work on in my film-going experiences. But uh, this movie is as good as advertised. I mean, it's a masterpiece. The um, colors, the songs. The colors, the songs, the... Uh, choreography. Choreography. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's just brilliant. The actors are so delightful. Like, their their yeah. chemistry, it's... It, I feel like I've probably used this word too much, but it's just pure delight. Yeah, and my favorite... I, I liked everybody in the movie, but my pers- the guy I clung to was Donald O'Connor as Cosmo. <laughs> like, and I know I make fun of redheads a lot on this show, you but do. this was a redhead that just, he uh, he captured my heart, guys. What can I say? Uh, I'm surprised, like, as far as the musical discoveries you have listed, that you have Gintel ranked higher than us. <laughs> you wish. <laughs> <laughs> That's good. But... Uh, <laughs> Yentl aside, Yentl didn't, uh, didn't make your short list. Yentl did not crack the top ten. Oh no! Uh, but Singing in the Rain did, and uh, it's it's a great movie. Uh, what was your favorite musical? I number? mean, I would make him laugh. I Good love song, the way comedy. his body moves in in correlation with the music. Like it's it's Mickey Mousing, but yeah, it's good. it is. And and I talk. I mean, uh, not just me. A lot of people talk about like how you and and it all stems like the way you match rhythm and music with your editing, like it all stems from musicals. The The way action took, it took from musicals. Like mm-hmm. that's why we have what we have in certain action movies. And it's like, that's what really pumps me up on musicals is I love watching that stuff. That's why like, I think Umbrellas of Sherberg is like so amazing, but I, I just, I want to get more informed. I want to see more musicals and that's something I'm trying to do better on because I love them. I'm down for this. You know I love the musical. Yeah, same. Yeah, so that is my number six. 
at number five, I've got The Naked Spur. This is from 1953, directed by Anthony Mann. Have either of you seen this? I've never seen this. Uh, this is a Western. Uh, I saw this on over, uh, I think in the fall, Criterion Channel did a collection of films called Noir Westerns. And this was on that collection. And uh, yeah, this, this I think this movie's masterpiece. It is one of uh, Anthony, Anthony Mann's uh, colored, uh, Westerns that are in color. Um, beautiful Technicolor. It's like just gorgeous, actual on location shooting. Uh, Jimmy Stewart stars in this as like a type, kind of a bounty hunter. He's going after a uh, a guy to get a reward on here. And it goes in some really dark territory, especially for like a 50s film. And highly entertaining, highly well, like very well shot. And I was just very impressed. So I know that Anthony Mann did like a, a number, like a string of Westerns with Jimmy Stewart. I want to... Which I've seen some of the others. This was the first one I'd seen. I haven't seen this one. I, I bought a bunch of his. Mm -hmm. Yeah. This this film, film I, I wish I could talk right now. This film made me want to like watch all those. So, like I was really, really pumped on this. What did you think of Jimmy Stewart as a cowboy? Like, what did you think? Because you, you know him more for Alfred Hitchcock. Yeah, than, so like I, like, I will get get to one late, later in my list. I actually have two Jimmy Western or Jimmy... Jimmy Westerns! Jimmy Westerns. <laughs> I actually have two Jimmy Stewart Westerns on this list. Oh, okay. Right. And he, you know, I'm surprised. He's he's a very interesting presence in them. Like I said, he goes into some dark dark places. His character is uh, is a bit uh, tortured um, mentally in this this film, and it shows. And I'm like, Jimmy Stewart has has always been a character or a, an actor I've I've enjoyed, but uh, like I didn't know his range could reach. To these places that he went in, in some of these westerns from Man and Ford. So, like, I was very impressed with him. So, yeah. Big fan of Jimmy Western. Jimmy Western, man. Tearing through. You'll get better than you that. You should make a Fallout character named Jimmy Western. Jimmy Western. That's why you guys listen to podcasts right there. That's actually a good idea, though. <laughs> well, listen, as you guys know, and I stated previously, I watched all the Bond films in preparation for the Bond film that didn't come out. That is supposed to come out in 2021 in the fall. If I have some recommendations for Bond films. Alright. So, instead of listing the best Bond films, because that would kind of be boring and pretty obvious, right? Sure. I'm going to give you a film for each actor. I will say, I don't think it's as obvious as you think. There is a lot of... A lot of difference of opinions. Yeah. Continue. Hmm. Okay. So, Connery... I'm not saying this is his best film. Arguably his best. Goldfinger. Okay. The reason I'm going with this over from Russia with Love is I think this film's got all the iconography that you associate with James Bond. And I think it's what people think of when they think of old James Bond movies. It's okay. a good entry point and it's a phenomenal pop film. George Lazenby. He only did the one. Under Majesty's Secret Service. But it happens to be a excellent film. You got freaking Kolchak playing uh, Blowfield, <laughs> Terry Savalas, and he is superb. George Lazenby is fine in the role. 
But the movie is so well directed, and Diana Rigg is one of the best mm-hmm. Bond women ever. ever. One I have not seen. She, uh... Well, I will tell you this. Pretty sure the entire end of Inception is like inspired by this film, like the winter mm-hmm. shootouts and the ski shootout stuff. Roger Moore, The Spy Who Loved Me. This is an excellent Bond film. I think a lot of people shit on Roger Moore, which re-watching all the Bond films, Roger Moore is not the worst Bond. He's pretty good, and his movies are pretty fun. The Spy Who Loved Me is a genuinely great movie. It's got an excellent Bond girl. It's got one of the best Bond songs, and it's the introduction to Jaws, who is mm. an iconic character in the franchise. Very nice. And I think it's a very fun villain story. Uh, you got the sea base going on, Admiral Bond. It's awesome. Okay. Timothy Dalton, either of these films would work, but Living Daylights is probably a stronger story than License to Kill. Uh, it's a lighter movie as well. License to Kill gets a little even darker. I think Timothy Dalton's ahead of his time. Uh, I think that Daniel Craig does a lot of the things that Timothy Dalton was doing in the 80s. Big Dalton fan. I, I do I, like Dalton. I, like I think Dalton his movies are bad, though. They're not bad. They're just... The bad guys are bad. The bad guy in this is... Uh, what, um, James D. Baker. I, I don't know. He's in, like, GoldenEye. Quick uh, interjection here. I I have never seen a full Roger Moore or Timothy Dalton Bond film. That Timothy Dalton's crazy. not shocking to me, but Roger Moore, that's crazy. Yeah. So, I'm actually... my I've... I've I've got big plans to try to go through uh, these movies this year myself. I messed up on that name. It's Joe Don Baker. Joe Don Baker, yes. I'm a little buzzed. But Joe Don Baker plays a American arms dealer. And, and that's the thing. Bond faces, like, real-world problems in these. There's not, like, secret lairs and stuff. Um, so it's arms dealer in this one. In the next film, he goes against a drug kingpin. Okay. So, eh. Um, now, for Pierce Brosnan, as you guys know from one of my previous lists on this very episode. I talked about how crappy GoldenEye is as a movie. Sure. So, I'm putting a video game. Hmm. Everything or Nothing for the PlayStation 2. You got Heidi Klum is the Bond girl in that. Oh. Uh, you got some Need for Speed action racing with the cars, and there's some like Splinter Cell spy mission stuff. It's okay. It's probably better than watching those movies. <laughs> it uses his likeness. It's, it counts. Yep. Daniel Craig, I'm going to go with Casino Royale. I don't know if it's a better movie than Skyfall. It might be, but I think it's a good starting point for that actor. It's an excellent film. It seems most people are split on either or being their favorite film. Yeah. I think you probably can't go wrong with either choice. So that's going by actor. Those are the films I would pick for our dear listeners to check out. I like that a lot. Okay. Melanie, you got a list here? Yeah, okay, so this is probably going to be my most ridiculous thing. In lockdown, I read, because, okay, so where we were, not to get too into the nitty-gritty of this, but we we were only locked down for one month yeah. where we actually couldn't go anywhere. During that month, I I read 32 or 33 books. Damn, girl. A weird thing that I did, I truly didn't mean to. Like, the way that this happened is so stupid, and I'm dumb. Thriftbooks.com is an amazing resource mm-hmm. to find books that are out of print, that are just hard to find. It's basically like a used bookstore. 
online and you can find amazing things. I purchased a couple of uh, horror books that I hadn't read before. I purchased a couple of science fiction books that I hadn't read before because I was just like, I'm going to be so well-rounded during yeah. this time. Yeah. I'm going to make the most of it. And I purchased one, one Julia Quinn book. Nice. Okay. And I will... started from there. Well, listen. So here's what happened. Love romance novel covers. Legitimately something that I, like a dream I have at some point, I would love to compile kind of in like a paperbacks from hell type of mm-hmm. way, compile <clears throat> romance novel covers into a book. That'd be cool. Love the art. I really do. Mm-hmm. I have a whole thing about Fabio. I don't know. So <laughs> it's just, it's there. I want to do it. But so Julia Quinn is a, and I buy these books because I love the covers, but I feel I have to read anything you gotta I read buy. Yeah. See, that's the thing. I can't just like have a thing that I think is like novelty funny. Sure. Like if it's a book, I have to read it and I can't read. I have to finish a series. Even if I hate it, I have to pull through because it's like my own compulsion. Mm-hmm. Julia Quinn doesn't have the coolest covers. We'll just be honest. So I was never interested. She is a very famous, uh, she, she basically, basically covers Regency romance time period, that type of thing. You know what? I'm going through all of these other authors and stuff. I'll give her a shot, whatever. Mm-hmm. I order one book in this group, the first books I bought uh, before lockdown to carry me through. So I read that first book and I think it's, it, I feel like that one's called The Viscount Who Loved Me or something like that. Okay. Like it has like a very like spy-esque title. Yeah, so I was yeah. like, oh, that's kind of cool, whatever. Mm-hmm. It's the coolest cover by far, but it's nothing to write home about. So started reading it and I wasn't confused, but I, you can, in any of the, these Avon romance, you can start anywhere you want. They all follow the same pattern. There's a plain but interesting girl, and there's this really hot guy, and he notices her, and they get together. Mm-hmm. And it's like Nolan's life. The funny thing is, I think everyone has this idea that all of those books your mom had on the back, hidden in the shelf, super, super sexual, mm-hmm. they all have, like, one scene. <laughs> like, maybe two mm-hmm. light things throughout. But how explicit? It depends on the author. I will give recommendations later about if you want something that is actually pretty good. Mm-hmm. I'll let you know. Like Nolan's Christmas readings? Nolan's Christmas <laughs> readings, we purposely try to pull the smuttiest that we can. That's true. Typically. That's that's more of just a we aim to please for... And I will say, even on those, there's not as, as many scenes as you'd think. There's not. It's hard. <laughs> It's hard when it's hard. So, anyways, yeah, that's, like, a, a big misconception with romance books. There's usually, and it's, like, towards the end. It's very video game Bioware-esque mm. in that you, before the big finale, you get a big finale. I read this book, found out that it's a series, that mm. it's book two in a series. Well, I'm like, I've got to read it. What you were, like, a little Stacy Glover when he watched Empire Strikes Back on television Finding out that there was one before it. No, because because I didn't love what I what I, what I experienced, but I tried to just mm-hmm. I don't need to experience it. I'm good. Didn't even love this that much. Mm-hmm. But the thing in my head that's like, oh, let's be super stressed out about things that don't matter. Right. You didn't finish this thing, and now it feels like ugh, they hang me out. Mm-hmm. It's weird. It doesn't make any sense, and that's hey, my own. I have hookups like that on it's, things. It's, I understand. So, I bought the rest of the series, and I think that in this series alone, it's like nine or ten books. I can't remember. I 
that would have been like the end of lockdown because I think I started reading through the other stuff that I had bought uh, beforehand. So I think I read these in like over the course of two weeks. I mean, it usually takes me a few months just to read one book. So I'm not trying <laughs> I to love, like, no, I'm not, I'm not trying I'm saying to like, brag at all. I'm, I'm like ripping myself a little. Like <laughs> why should, it shouldn't take, I like to read. It shouldn't take me that you, long to read a book. But you put down stuff and you. I do. You pop around books too. I do. And I mostly read film books. So I mean it. That's reference Where I can, can pop around quite a yeah. bit in magazines. So this series that I read is the Bridgerton series. I had no idea that Netflix was making, or that, is it Shonda Rhimes, I believe? No idea that this was coming out. The books that I bought, it didn't have, like, Netflix exclusive coming, like, it didn't have any of that. It's the old books because it's all on thriftbooks.com. Funny because now there's stuff on, like, TikTok and social media where they're talking about these characters that I was in isolation with that (laughs) no one else knew what they were. It was, Mm -hmm. like, this weird little thing where I was like, (laughs) it's fine, it's it's pretty run of the mill for but getting the job done yeah yeah i mean you know are you claiming to be the og bridgerton fan no no not that at all i'm <laughs> I haven't like watched... you're tired of all these fake bitches well the fake bitches they didn't read 10 books what i will say i think it's awesome that it's like i haven't watched any of it yet i don't know if i will i feel like i need to watch buddy for to make that commitment That's because fair. again i didn't love the books so i don't know if i'm gonna love the show but I'm interested and I'll watch it at some point. Yeah. No, I'm not saying that I was the OG. I'm just saying it is But it, it is, is kind of humorous. I was reading outside just with in my little headspace and then yeah. all of a sudden yeah. it yeah. was trending on Twitter and I was like, what is happening? I didn't know. Mm-hmm. It's my mistake. It's I mean it's pretty crazy. Yeah. So I just wanted to there's really not a list on that. I will tell you books that I actually liked that I read. Yeah, please this do. This past year, so the Adventures of Buckaroo Banzai. Okay. It's a super short read. It's a great companion to the movie. So if you already, you it's it's very much the story from the film, but you just get a little bit more with the characters. It's a little bit more in depth. I saw within the last week or two they announced that they're doing a sequel book. Yes, Earl is writing that one as well, and he wrote the script and he wrote hmm. the novel. Another one, I think this was actually, this wasn't during lockdown, this was uh, later in the year. Uh, I read The Magic Toy Shop by Angela Carter. Angela Carter, uh, you'd probably be familiar with... I've heard that name before. The Company of Wolves. She wrote yes. the story that okay. that's based off of. Very cool. I think that's probably what most people yep. film buffs know her from. But her writing is so... Uh, this sounds so cheesy, but it's just magical. Like, she she has a way of writing that's very provocative. It's erotic, but it's just, their, like, magic that jumps off the page. Like, she, she's such a beautiful wordsmith. So, great book. Highly recommend it. And then a book that I reread this year, The Butcher and Other Erotica um, by Alana Brays. So, I would, if you're wanting something that's a little zesty, I would go with this book. So she's like the Radley Metzger in the porn world of books. There you go. Nice. Great. You nailed it. That's yeah. exactly what I would say. I and don't understand what's happening. <laughs> also, I want to say another side piece, just a real quick. If you want to read Julia Quinn type of books, what you think of your mom or moms in the 80s, mm-hmm. like reading and really being down with, Judith Ivory or Susan Enoch. They do the basic formulaic romance stories, but their writing is not to 
not to call her out, Julia Quinn's great, but their writing is better. Okay. So, and there's a little bit more sex in these. Nice. No, so. you can't go wrong there. No. Did your mom read those books? Like those type of books? I don't know, and also no comment. <laughs> well, I'm just asking. My mom read them. Yeah, my mom did too. My mom, oh, and that's something my mom is giving me. She texted me a couple days ago. She's giving me all of her uh, books like that that she had because she, she doesn't reread stuff ever because mm-hmm. she just reads. She, I read a lot. She reads like it's insane. She reads faster than I do too. But she's like, yeah, I've got all those Avon romances if you want them. I was like, bring them to me. <laughs> <laughs> That's cool. Yeah. Uh, just one of them. I, I read a number of books last year that I really enjoyed. I'll just say my favorite book that I personally read last year was Jonathan Rosenbaum's uh, book called uh, Essential Cinema, I believe. I could be wrong on that title. It's been a while since I've read it. But anyway. That's my favorite book that I read last year. I think the only book I read last year was Lord of the Rings. And it was a reread at the beginning of winter. Yeah, but that's like, to just say like. It's like three books in Yeah, you're like, that's all I read. That is a tome. Is a lot of, a lot of words. So, well done on you. Well, I didn't read that much this year. Sorry to go off on a tangent, guys. That was a lot of. While we're on the subject of books, real quick, I would just, I read a number of books from last year. Uh, but, um, like off the, off the top of my head, my favorite one I read, uh, would be Jonathan Rosenbaum's Goodbye Cinema, Hello Cinephilia. So just thought I'd throw that in there. Uh, okay. Back on this film discoveries list, I'm at number four now. So I have, uh, my first of two double features on my list at number four. I've got fireworks from 1997 and violent cop. From 1989, both directed by uh, Beat Takashi Katano. Love that guy. Yes. So these are uh, a couple of his early films, obviously. Earlier films. I think he's more known... I mean, he should be known for these works because they're his better movies, but, like, he's known as, like, the for the outrage movies well, for, like, like is newer it Sonatine was really Sonatine was popular. a big one, sure. That's 90s, right? Yeah, that's 90s as well. Would you say he's most known for Battle Royale? and for Being like, the star in yeah. Battle Royale. That's, yeah, and, and he should... I think he should be known as a director well, because his films are really awesome. And I'm pretty sure he showed up in, like... It's a popular series now, but I think he showed up in one of the Yakuza games. Yeah. Like, as that, yeah. like an actor. That's right. Yes. So, I... These, I watched, uh, like I said, a few of his films this year, and I had seen the first, I think we had watched the first two Outrage movies together. Maybe. Yeah, we watched Outrage and Beyond Outrage. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so those were the first knowledge I had had of him. Um, and then as, as years have gone on, I kind of realized that he made quite a few movies earlier and that they were important movies because they are kind of like pretty important in like, action cinema and in like kind of avant-garde action cinema so like especially in particular both these movies that i saw they're very much like arty poppy action movies but like have a very interesting set of uh, style of editing and like just the way he splices imagery also so like he is very much his own director. I was quite impressed by these films. And in fact, it made me uh, go out and buy a BFI box set that had uh, three or four of his movies in it. And then I also bought 
another Blu-ray uh, from another company here in the States. But so uh, he was a, a director that I really embraced this year and uh, enjoyed. I haven't seen these movies you listed. Does he star in them? Yes. Mm-hmm. Yep. And I I think he's such a good presence yep. in front of the camera. I mean, obviously, like Battle Royale being so famous. Sure. You know, but like like you said, we watched the Outrage movies, and I think he's very engaging in those mm-hmm. films too. And I I want to see what you just listed, yeah. and I really want to see Sonstein. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. Melanie, have you ever seen any of his films? Just just Battle. Okay. Good. Okay. I don't know that much. I would, like I said, highly recommend them to you guys and everybody out there. I, I think you would enjoy them. So you'd say he's the Japanese Chaoyun fat of the nineties. Hell yeah, man. <laughs> 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 he's great. He's great. All right. Uh, number three here, I've got uh, the King of Comedy from nineteen eighty two, directed by Martin Scorsese. I know you have both seen this movie. I don't know what else to say other than it's brilliant. I mean, De Niro. De Niro is God. so good. Jerry Lewis is great. Uh, the yeah, direction. The direction's amazing. Like, it's 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 just such a well made movie. I mean, I'm not gonna say anything anybody else hasn't, so I really won't go into it that much. Other than if you haven't seen it, you need to it's see a masterpiece. It. Yeah. Well, okay, I I do think it's interesting <clears throat> though. Like, I don't think this film had the reputation it has now until like what, probably the last, like, five or ten years? Yeah, I would say it's... Like, it was one of his yeah. that got reevaluated. It did, yeah. Uh, yeah, it's it's a movie that I, like, I can see how, at the time, I mean, to me, it, it's hard to not imagine someone thinking it's a masterpiece, but at the same time, I can understand why people maybe didn't gravitate towards it as much back then. Like, it's... It's not straightforward and because it relies a lot on um, scenes playing out in De Niro's mind. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I mean, there's stuff like that going on. And I think it's 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 a bit of it. Yeah, it's it's a bit different than what Scorsese was making well, at the time. And here's what I think that's kind of interesting with the reevaluation of that film is that, like, you know, the time that it came out, like the what it's covering was very contemporary and important at the time. Mm-hmm. And I feel like late night television doesn't really have the same no, importance true. that it did in what, 83? Right. Or whenever that movie uh, came out. 82. And late night TV back then, like, like that's how all those comedians got their start, you know, right. doing a 10 or 15 minute set mm-hmm. on, uh, um, you know, the late show. Yep. Why can't I think Carson? of Carson? Yeah. Johnny, Car- Johnny, mm-hmm. Johnny Carson. Yeah. Yep. But it, I, I don't know. I think that's interesting that we, you know, people have reevaluated this film now in a time that, that the yep. subject matter isn't as important as when it came out. Right. Yeah. No, it's a very good point. That's, that is something to think about. And I, I just can't stress enough how good, like, De Niro is in that movie. It kind of blew me away. Like I, One of his best performances. I love him as an actor, but... He falls into, like, what he does in the 90s, and yeah, he kind of just does the same thing. I think we forget how good of... Range. I, uh, right, like, he's... Very funny in this movie, as well as like deranged in this. It is. I get secondhand embarrassment, Nolan. You do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I don't know if you felt that during this movie, but this movie is one like it's it is Mm -hmm. it's such a brilliant film, and his performance is so good. I secondhand embarrassment, like my anxiety during the film is just like yeah, it it's a fever pitch. It's rough, but I love it. Yeah, yeah. This was a discovery for me last year. But 2019? I, yeah, I, I definitely think it is, like, one of Marty's, like, 
stronger films from the 80s. Yeah, it's mm-hmm. it's it's so good. I can't recommend it highly enough if uh, you haven't seen it out there. Like, Absolutely. I hadn't. All right. Well, I'm going to cut into your list. Please do. The Everlong list. Mm-hmm. I actually think that games have been better, or I've been more interested in games for this year than movies. Because mm-hmm. games haven't really been as affected as much by sure. everything that's going on. So a lot of good games came out. So here are five games that I spent a lot of time with in the year 2020. Resident Evil 3. They did a remake of it. And while not as good as the remake of Resident Evil 2, I think it's a very solid game. It's very fun. It has that same gameplay, which is kind of a marriage between old Resident Evil and Resident Evil 4, like the modern style Resident Evils. And Nolan, did you play that Resident Evil 2 remake? No, I I have not. uh, I would like to. Yeah, it's one of my favorite games from the generation. I've actually never played any Resident Evil 2. I never played the original either. So that's a shame. Yeah. Masterpiece. Perhaps that'll be remedied soon. That's right. I hope so. That's right. Mm-hmm. Wink, Res- wink. Resident Evil 3 is still fun. It, it's not the strongest game. Like the original one's not the strongest game in the series, but there's a lot there. It's definitely where the series started gearing towards gear, gearing itself more towards action. I thought it was a weird one for them to remake. It, it is, but it seems like they're going to remake all the numerous, numerical yeah. Resident Evils because they said they're doing four. Oh, really? Which I wish... Yeah, four feels modern to it me. It does, yeah. I like, I, I feel you can go back to four and still play that. Um, I mean, I can go back to any game and still play it because I'm crazy. I mean, I'll play it because that's like one of my personal favorite games ever. Resident yeah. Evil 4. Yeah, yeah, yeah it's, it's a great game. Yeah. But this Resident Evil 3 remake is solid and I think it's worth a playthrough. And there's a nice economy there that was in the original game to where, like, on your subsequent playthroughs, I played through it twice this year, and you get, like, you unlock new stuff, you know, each time, and it kind of makes the game funner to where you can just kind of fuck around and murder stuff. So, good game. Uh, next on my list is Ghost of Tsushima, which it's, like, I think Sucker Punch made it. Um, it's a Sony-exclusive and it's basically them finally fulfilling the the need for Assassin's Creed in Japan. Okay. Because they never gave us that Assassin's Creed in Japan. What it is like a painfully beautiful game. Oh, it's oh. I think it's the most visually stunning game. I played it on a base PS4. This game is stunning. And what really like what really drew me to the game was the combat. I think the the fighting is really fun. Mm-hmm. Um, the story is not as strong, but, you know, for the film buffs out there, there is a Kurosawa mode, so you can play the game black in and black white and white. Right. Yeah. yeah. That's cool. Next is a little cheat. It came out near the end of 2019. Dragon Quest XI-S, an elusive age. age. Uh, I'm playing it on the Switch. It's one of the games I put the most hours in this year. It is a classical Japanese RPG. The art is done by the guy who does the art for Dragon Ball Z, or all Dragon Ball. And it's just fun. Very much nostalgic. It gives you the feelings that you had playing RPGs like on the Super Nintendo. Because it hasn't really changed much. Like there are some like things that they make it easier for audiences now to digest. But it really is just the classic, you know, hero. You have your party and you're fighting the monster. Mm-hmm. It's like 100 hours long. So oh, wow. I've... Big game. Yeah. I... 
I hopefully am close to the end. I'm like <laughs> 70 hours in right now. It's very good. All right. And these two games, I would go back and forth on saying what is my favorite of the year. I got Final Fantasy VII Remake, which is an excellent game. I've not quite finished it. I'm near the end, but I'm loving it. As a Final Fantasy VII fan, I can't believe how good of a job they've done. I think the lead designer on it is the guy who does uh, Kingdom Hearts. I think Nomura is the guy's name. I'm fearful for the future. It might take forever to finish the series, you know, because Kingdom Hearts is like, what, five or six years between entries, and then they'll put, like, story things on iPhone and Game mm -hmm. Boy and stuff. Mm -hmm. But hopefully we'll get a complete story. But this covers all the Midgar section. If you play Final Fantasy VII, you know what I'm talking about. They really open up the story in this. And honestly, just hearing, like, the, the remixes of the music, like the re-recordings of the orchestral music, there are, like, beats in the music that give me the feels. Like, just hearing these songs, holding back the waterworks, because, like, the, you know, the songs mean so much, and, like, those moments. And they do such a good job of capturing that, but they're also doing their own thing. And I think for a Japanese RPG, this has the best combat system that I've ever played. Because you talked about Persona, Melanie, earlier on, and that's more of a classical style, turn-based. So this has, like, the depth of, like, like an action game but it also does the old school style stuff to like bring the all the stuff you love from the old game into it i it's a hard thing to describe is it still turn-based no but it, it plays weird. it's like a mix between like double may cry and final fantasy oh okay so like you're doing your combos but then you can pause the game to like cast your spells. So like you can or... manipulate the playing field. Yeah, like and that. you can switch between any of that's, the characters. That's a little bit more like kind of how if you play as a mage in Dragon Age, the Dragon Age oh, games, yeah, sure. you can kind of control the map like that and pop around. So yeah. it's, it's it sounds a little but, bit like that. So this is the best version of that that I have ever played. Mm -hmm. Like because I feel like when you play those Bioware games, like you can kind of go on autopilot on those. And, like, kind of, like, set your prereqs for what you want your guys to do. You can do tactics. This, like, the battles you. are so intense that it's, it's, like, it's tactical, but also action. Hmm. It's so fun. But enough about me gushing about this game. Co-winner co for Stacy's Favorite Games of 2020, Hades. Made by Supergiant. On the Nintendo Switch, yes. Yes. I believe it's also available on Steam. And another game that has gorgeous art. The artwork is so... That is... It's such a pretty game. The music's really good. Voice acting's awesome. That's one I would very much... Uh, I need to buy because I would like to play that So one. they basically took the bones of Diablo and made it play better. And then it runs like a roguelike. Mm -hmm. So you're just doing runs of trying to get out of hell... But then they added a story to it where the story keeps evolving. I've not heard the same line of dialogue and I've played through like 40 times now trying to escape hell. It's very impressive. It is so fun. Each weapon feels good and balanced. You get boons from the gods and the character work is superb. And the boons, like they make like the weapons feel different each time you play. I love it. I think it's one of the, it's like one of the best feeling games, you know, mm -hmm. like when you, 
you just have fun doing a thing. Yeah. You know, with and the controller, so action's happening on the screen. A roguelike, like, as you get better, you feel yourself getting better. and Yeah, but it's not, like, you know how with Binding of Isaac, like, mm-hmm. you lose, like, you, you have runs. Your, you, yeah, you lose everything. Every you you have runs mm-hmm. where it's like, okay, I did a cool thing here. This is more like Dead Cells, like, kind of. Yes, but if Dead Cells had, like, an excellently written story. Okay. Like, that's what it is. It It is Surplanted Dead Cells. It's, like, my favorite roguelike. That's cool. So, yeah. Hades, Final Fantasy VII Remake. If you get a chance, play them. They're phenomenal. Great Hell, list. Hell of a year for, for video games. Yeah. It's oh, crazy. there's another, like, five or ten I could list that I love from this year. Mm-hmm. Like, it is insane how good games... I do fear that 2021 is going to be sparse because of it will. all the yeah. Stuff, yeah. all the world it's, stuff. Uh, it's bound to happen, probably. Yep. But uh, glad to hear that you had a good 2020 in gaming. I will say, for 2021, I will have to hunt down a PS5 before Resident Evil 8 comes out. Yeah, I would like, I would like one myself. Melanie, what do you got? All right, so... I'm going to go ahead and, Nolan, you're completing your list of discoveries. I had a hard time covering stuff for the show, and since I wasn't really focused on watching things, and I love how I spend my time, I watch a lot of garbage VHS rip stuff on YouTube. Mm -hmm. I wasn't going to list just a bunch of old VHS transfer things that I had seen. Instead, what I'm going to do is movies I enjoyed most that either... I had kind of seen, mm-hmm. but never all the way through. Yeah. So in a way, they are discoveries to yeah. me in completion this year. So with that, Dead Calm. Nice pick. That was a fun movie. We covered Dead Calm a little bit on an earlier episode of our uh, erotic thrillers from the 80s and 90s. Yeah. And the reason why I included this, I had seen most of the movie, but if you do not watch the first five minutes of the film, it is vastly different <laughs> it, it entirely changes the whole story yeah so i watched this from the perspective that billy zane was just a normal guy who was with nicole kidman mm-hmm. i read it wrong yeah and did you yeah she did initially when i first watched the film yeah I remember, I'm, a, I'm a billy zane mark i remember you talking about this no, before we started the, because the movie and then as we were watching you were like it, Whoa. Ch- it totally changed my <laughs> whole perspective. If you don't have the setup of that film to know that Sam and Nicole are actually together, there's a lot that's changed <laughs> drastically. But I'm saying that I watched the film and I'm still rooting for Billy Zane. I root for Billy Zane. Well, as no matter. He can rip panties off like no man. <laughs> in, in that film, if you have not seen Dead Calm, it's typically streaming on... You can find... I mean... I bet it's on YouTube right now, but typically it's on Prime. Hunt it down. You guys will recall, I, when he ripped those panties off, I think I laughed for like five minutes straight. It might have been a thing where we went back. I can't remember. We may have rewatched it. And I was because it is impressive. It's one-handed. Just... <laughs> it's everything you want from a panty rip scene. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I think. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Including Nicole Kidman's tushy. I mean, that you know too. What? I small yep. small thing to pick real quick someone online and i don't know who it was it was someone in my 
mm-hmm. Twitter feed somewhere was like, I think Nicole Kidman is so annoying and a bad actress. And what? I was so offended by that tweet. <laughs> Have they not seen like Moulin Rouge? That I don't... is enough to like that person. I'm sorry. Whoever it's... that was, if this offends you. You need to be canceled. Like that's unacceptable. I, yeah. I, I was shocked. It's not like she's my favorite actress or anything. Isn't she the best part of Batman Forever? Oh, yes. <laughs> we covered that on well, the show. Well, yeah, we did. And I have another I don't know. Tommy Lee too. Jones makeup, man. I mean, Listen, I'm kidding. Stop you. There's, kidding, a, there's kidding. a lot of things with Batman for a career. But anyways, <laughs> Deadcom, that was a big one for me. I, I still root. Now that I know the whole story, I'm enlightened. Yeah. I'm still rooting for Billy the whole way. Because I just want him to, you know, he's a bad boy. Mm-hmm. He's there to just fuck things up and kill him a little bit. Yeah. And I'm, I'm down with it. But... Number two, Ponyo. Oh. So I, this came out. One I've never seen. Yeah. I think this was like 2008. So it's, it's been out for many, many years. Any Miyazaki film that just makes you feel warm and cozy and secure. Mm-hmm. Such a good film. You should watch it. Very cool. And then last but not least, Dracula, Prince of Darkness. Okay. This is a great like proto slasher. It's, I was so blown away by this film. That's. Sorry to interrupt. Another one I haven't seen, by the way. Yeah, it, you should watch it. I think you would love it. I believe it's the last Dracula film that Terrence Fisher directed. Yes. Okay. What Hammer did compared to what Universal did, it just mm-hmm. it's, it, they're not comparable, obviously, sure. so I'm not surprised that there were shocking things in this film, but I was still... I think I watched this at, like, four in the morning. Okay. <laughs> I was still, like, mm-hmm. very, very that shocked. Been, that would probably been a really good experience like watching yeah. it at that time. I'm oh like, yeah, I had coffee. I was feeling it. I was yeah. I was feeling my oats. Yeah, nailed it. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, those are my uh kind of discoveries. Things I things I had seen or knew yeah. about but just hadn't ever sat down. Solid list. Through completion. Uh all right, with that being said, I will go ahead and finish my discoveries list here. At number 2, I've got uh my second double uh feature, I don't know. My, my second two. Uh, I've got Malcolm X uh, from 1992 and Bamboozled from 2000, both directed by Spike Lee. Uh, so Malcolm X, I had... So I, I'm calling it a first watch for me. I saw it when I was young. Um, I don't recall it. And it's like three, three and a half hours long. And, and I know that, that did not hold my attention back then. You do, it deserves so, your attention. Yeah, this was yeah. basically a first time watch for me. Such a good movie. Denzel is like he is Malcolm in that film. Like he personifies it. it like it's I don't know. I, I love Spike Lee, so like you should all see that. And then Bamboozled, like <laughs> it's a movie that hits just as hard today. Like probably maybe even harder than when it was made at in two thousand 2000. That was uh, not, a, it's not a fun one to watch. Yeah, it's, it's rough. It is intense. And like, don't get me wrong. There is a lot of funny stuff in it, but like, it's, it's a hard movie to talk about, especially as like, we're three white people, yeah. but like, just know that it, it, that it's something I feel that people need to watch. Oh yeah. Like, it's just one of those movies and it's, Yeah. Especially just like when it gets to the end, like and Spike does this at times. In this movie, it's like a series, like it's a montage of images of of all the past times that we've had blackface yep. um, throughout our history, and like he does the same thing in, in like something like Black Klansman, where he shows like uh, what 
our country is going through with <clears throat> racial issues in, in from 2017 or 18, you know, what we were going through at that time. And it just, it hits hard. I'll just leave it at that. And I feel like there's a lot of Spike films whenever they're very topical for when they're released. Right. And it's just like you watch it yeah. and you're like, fuck, man, we're in yeah. 2021 now and yeah. this shit is still... It, it is. It, it, it is. And uh, the other thing I'll just... Yes. Miracle of St. Anna. See, you know, we're talking about these really important movies and then you just, you throw in... Miracle of St. Anna is bad. A bad movie. It's a bad like, film. You know? So, so uh, you like... Um... One thing, real quick, one thing I just want to say that, that I loved on a, a basis of form in, in Bamboozled is he uses... Like basically, like shot on video style footage when throughout most of the film, like it's very ugly. But then when he when he goes through the minstrel shows, minstrel shows thank yeah. you. So when he when he goes gets to the minstrel shows, it's actually like he ups the video, so it's like actually shot competently, it, it and it's more it's like lush. it's very lush. I yeah. really love Spike's Reds. Yeah. So I, I I love that about about the the film. You were going to say something. So Denzel better at Malcolm X than Mario Van Pebbles in Michael Mann's Ali. Yes. Is any of that stuff in Malcolm X? Yeah. Small. A, a it, it's it's definitely I mean, it's a much lesser degree. Well, obviously, it, it, we got a movie coming out for twenty twenty, the One Night in Miami. Yeah. That's kind of covering similar ground. Yeah, I, and I'll I'll watch it. I'm interested in it, but. Ollie was one I I had only seen once or twice, I think. Rewatching that film older, a little bit wiser, mm -hmm. putting context to stuff, it hits differently. Yep. And it's that is such a great It's a masterful it's, film. It's a great film. I think I prefer the theatrical cut to the newest director's cut though. I I uh, that is one I I saw when it was in theaters, but I have not seen it since. So when you watch Malcolm X, did you bust out the double VHS? <laughs> <laughs> You know me, so you know that answer is no. Oh. Uh, that is a Blu-ray, obviously. Uh, both these are available on Blu-ray. Um, I'm sure they're streaming somewhere, so. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know how Spike is with his streams. Like, I know yep. To Speak Blood, that was streaming because I watched it. Yeah, I, I believe, like, some of his newer stuff is, I know his newer stuff is it's accessible. Much, much more accessible. Yeah. I can't talk right now, so okay. I'm well, sorry. Well, his earlier films, um, didn't uh, Kino put out like five or six of his films last year? Yeah, they put out a number of his films last year. Um, yeah, which I hear that I've I watched Summer of Sam, which looked great on Blu-ray, so I'm sure that all of them look good. But um, but yeah, the, uh, these two were were new watches for me, and uh, I could not recommend them higher. Yeah. So check them both out. And for my number one slot, uh, I've got The Man Who Shot Liberty Valance from 1962. I love this movie. Directed by John Ford. Blew, this movie blew me away. All of us are big Ford fans here, so that's nothing new for cinephiles or people interested in movies. Like, I think Ford is one of the greatest American directors, and I, there's plenty of his stuff I haven't seen. Like, I love Searchers. I've... I've seen it three or four times. Like we watched it in theaters. Like it's one of the last movies we actually saw in theaters, <laughs> which yeah. is crazy. But uh, this movie might be my favorite Ford. I like this more than Searchers. Yeah, it's, it's Searchers. I actually think is a better film. Yeah, I mean you can't go wrong. I mean, there's a reason like most people 
It's one say of it's their, one of the greatest I mean, I would say Searchers is one of the top like, ten American films ever made. It's a, right? it's a great movie. And, no, and I and I yep. fully agree with that. But for whatever reason, this film, I love the music. I love the the cinematography yep. and the actors. I just, it's so yep. good. And it, it does. It has like it has a lot of heart to it. And also, like one of the things I think I don't know if Ford gets enough credit for. And I think. I think a lot of newer directors need to think about this a little more. But Ford did such a good job of mixing drama with comedy. The movies, like, you think of Searcher as, like, it's a dark movie. Mm-hmm. But, like, there's some really funny shit There's in levity. It. There's like, still yeah. a lot of levity. In and it's that, the yeah. same with Liberty Valent. I forget the actor's name. I'm not looking it up right now, so I apologize to everybody. But the, char- the, the guy who played Friar Tuck in Robin Hood, he's in Liberty Valance. And he... I laughed multiple times at him, just, like, saying so many good lines. His physicality, too. His physicality, absolutely. But it's just, Ford does such a good job of mixing those two things together. And I don't think we get that very often anymore. We get it now, but it feels... A lot of times it comes off as so uneven. Sure, absolutely. Where he had that perfect mix that, like, it doesn't feel like it shouldn't be there. Yeah, and it's at the the pacing for mm-hmm. it, yeah. the beats of when it's serious and when you have those moments of like where things are just a little bit easier, it, the spacing of those, they don't overlap and mm-hmm. it's, they kind he kind of lets them settle and yeah. then he moves along. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, stars John Wayne and uh, Jimmy Stewart. I said I'd have another Jimmy Stewart Western on here. So this, this is it. Uh, this is like a story that kind of seems like classic now. But where, you know, we have the beginning of the film, we find out about a character named Liberty Valance, and he has passed away at the beginning of the film. Um, Jimmy Stewart's character has come back, and they're basically there for because he's being buried, and nobody really knows who this character was. And basically, Jimmy Stewart's like, well, let me tell you about this guy, because Mm -hmm. he was a saint. And so, obviously, he did... You know, he, he's not a perfect character by any means, but what we find out is there that he did did some pretty crazy good shit. So Which do me a favor, if you are listening to this when you are done, or pause it now and come back, but go listen to the song The Man Who Shot Liberty Valley. Yes, because yes. the song's great and honestly it's a ballad. It gives you the mm-hmm. entire story and it's so good. Yeah, it's it really is. So I, yeah, th- I I bought the Blu-ray of this movie. It's fairly cheap, so I mean um, I'm sure it's probably streaming somewhere, but I would highly recommend it. And uh, it was my favorite thing I saw in 2020. It's shameful that I haven't seen this yet. Stacy, do you have uh, anything left that you would like to talk about here? So, for the thing that we were actually supposed to do in our discoveries of 2020... Yes. Here's some fresh old films that I watched. Number five, Bloodsport. Mm-hmm. It is not a good movie, it is but so I really good. like it. That's, that's... How, do you, how, do you, how do you feel about Frank? In the true story. Frank. Oh, Frank Dukes. So, <laughs> I watched this movie and it sent me on a, a spiral down the life of Frank Dukes and, like, just looking up his stuff. I, I tried to buy the biography, but it's super expensive for what it is. I've had that biography on my, uh, like, wish list from Thriftbooks for a long time. <laughs> it never comes in. That's good. Dude sounds crazy. Yeah. But Bloodsport is an entertaining film. With some good montages and a terrible, wonderful song. Kumata. Number four, Sword of Doom. So, I really dug this film. 
It's from uh, Kihachi Okamoto. I went on like a samurai film kick, which we're going to get into later. But uh, so this film stars uh, Tutsia Nakadia. I probably got these names wrong. But well, these uh, things happen. I'm going to mess up some more. He, he's a swordsman who has the sword and he's just a bad, bad dude. And it's all through like the perspective of this kind of bad, bad dude. And he plays the bad guy in some of the uh, Kurosawa films. Nice. Or, you know, like the rival to Miyafuni. And Miyafuni shows up in this film as like a grandmaster samurai guy who like whoops his ass, you know, at the end of the second act. That's a, it's a move. It's a movie I've heard of for many years. I I have not watched it, but I need to. It is super engaging. And the end of the film, I will just say, like, the last 20 minutes of this film are insane. And absolutely delightful with how much insanity is going on. This film is about the bad dude. You're watching a film about the bad guy. And it's awesome. That's cool. I don't want to say too much since you haven't seen it. Sure. But next I've got, harkening back to earlier conversation, Michael Mann's The Insider oh, at yes. number three. That was the first time watch for me this year as well. I really dug it. I thought that Al Pacino was really good in the film. Russell Crowe's really good in the film. And I, I feel like for a two-hour-plus movie about, like, Big Tobacco, the movie is engaging and, like, kind of thrilling throughout the runtime. Like, you, you get the sense of danger for, mm-hmm. like, what's going on. And I think Michael Mann's direction is just top-notch here. It it sucks that this is the only film of his that has really been, like, critically recognized, like, in the award circuit. Because he deserves it for many more films. But this film is very freaking stellar. Yeah, yeah, it was, it was really good. Yeah. I, I liked it a lot as well. Number two, here's my cheat. Like Nolan likes to do. Mm-hmm. So, I thought it'd be kind of boring if I just put down all the Kurosawa films I watched. <laughs> <laughs> and just rank Kurosawa films because that would be that would actually be what's the best of right, that you right. saw. Mm-hmm. So for me, it's the films of Kurosawa. I've seen Seven Samurai before, but his other films, I like, I knew about them, but I hadn't watched them. And to like get myself pumped for Ghost of Tsushima, I went through. I watched Rashomon, Throne of Blood, Yojimbo, and Sanjuro. And while Rashomon's the best of these, all these films are excellent. And I will say that. The last shot of Sanjuro, which is probably like the least revered out of all these films, the last shot of that film is the one that sticks with me. It's the one that I think about the most. And that shot, it's like a like a herald for what's to come in samurai films the next 20 years. Because it ends with... Because uh, Sanjuro is a uh, sequel to Yojimbo. Mm-hmm. So it ends with the samurai... He he did his good deed, and he is off on his way. But his rival wants satisfaction, and he wants to, you know, challenge him to a duel. Sandro Miyafuni's like, no, I don't want to, you know, we're not, it's not worth it, basically. And the guy demands, you know, satisfaction. So they have the duel, and it's, and all these townsfolk are watching, you know, that Sandro just helped out. And just in an instant, sword comes out slides across the dude's body and you just see the blood oh, wow. spray out like you would in yeah. uh Modern, you know lone like, wolf and cub yeah. and like those type of movies mm-hmm. um you know lady snowblood mm-hmm. and it's just a spray 
And the whole thing is, and like the lesson there that he's teaching is that like it could have been avoided. It was needless. And like, this is the effects of like, why you think I'm cool. Like mm-hmm. you honor like, you know, these samurais and stuff, but this is what it actually looks like. And just that shot, like the, it's just like a, a punch you know, showing like what the genre is going to be for the next 20 years. I just thought it was awesome. And it yeah. just really hit me. Very cool. But yeah, those movies, all of them are freaking excellent. Uh, Throne of Blood, man, production design, top notch. And obviously like Rashomon and Ujimbo basically defined yeah. how we told tell stories. Like, sure. like those two movies in Seven Samurai are they probably inform- the most influential. They inform so much that comes after. It's insane. Yeah, I mean, there is like, I think there is like a, a, a film like storytelling technique called the Rashomon effect. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So like these are important films. They're obviously phenomenal. Check them out. My number one, Mother Miyazaki, because you talked about Ponyo. For me, Castle in the Sky. Very cool. Yeah, I've not watched all of his films yet, and I watched this film for the first time last year, and it blew me away. Like the artistry involved in the animation and the story, so it just good. it hits all those things for me because it's like what late eighties, mm-hmm. and it is basically like it's Final Fantasy, mm-hmm. like their airships and yeah. like a lost world and all this stuff. And so beautiful. It's a cool movie. I've I've yeah. seen that one. It's really good. And the, the, the robot scene, like in the middle of the film, mm-hmm. it's like oh my god, this is like one of the best things ever shot like yeah it's absolutely phenomenal i adore that movie i think it Mm -hmm. is so important to like japanese culture like you read about you know the impact that that film had and it definitely you know informed like those video games that were coming out that like i grew up playing and you know all these animes and stuff and it's just so freaking so, good. So many animes pull from from specific, just little pieces from that movie. It's mm-hmm. probably the most important steampunk thing to have ever come out. Yeah. Like, it, it's so good. If you haven't seen it, go see it. it it'll I, blow you I away. I do, uh, I don't know if it's, I don't know if Disney has those or if it's on HBO but one of the platforms right now, they have like a Studio Ghibli's channel. Uh, so that's on HBO now. You can stream mm-hmm. all those movies. I think currently there are Disney versions of the Blu-rays that they did put out. But I think Shout Factory has the rights to them now. Mm-hmm. Um, they've been putting out Steelbooks. Um, but which I, I think those are in print still, the Steelbooks. Yeah. But I would say, I mean, if you want to turn 2020 or <laughs> 2021 around... I would just go through, do a Miyazaki run. If there's stuff you're missing, if you have a blind spot, yeah. it's so wholesome it is, and yeah. beautiful. It's, for me, like, uh, as you guys know, I am not the most emotional film goer, but I will say Nolan that... Nolan doesn't like to be emotionally manipulated. <laughs> I <film>. don't. <laughs> but I will say that uh, My Neighbor Totoro is one of the most beautiful movies ever made. Agreed. Does it just opinion. give you, like, warm fuzzies? It does. It's it, so it does. Sweet. Like... It's such a simple story, but it, it's so beautiful. It, it's such a beautiful movie. The few I have not seen, and I know they're big ones, but I have not seen Howl's Moving Castle. Which is one of my favorites. so good. I have not seen Princess Mononoke. You I haven't seen, seen it either. Mononoke is the first one in America that was big because 
that was before Disney was putting them out or Sony Classics. So I, I definitely have some, still some catch up to do on him, which I think I've said this before, but it's always, I like to always think it's nice when a director you like, you just, there's stuff you haven't watched and you just save them just to know, like, I have movies I haven't seen from this oh, director and I, and I like the thought of that. No, I don't I, do that. I do that, Nolan, <laughs> and I do that with video games. Oddly enough, if there's a video game I'm playing that I really love, this is not the case with Oblivion. I just, I, <laughs> there's so much other stuff to do in that world that I just never finish it. Games that I really love, I won't finish because it's like, nice. there's always like a little bit more. There's yeah. a little nugget up there that <laughs> I can go right. back to. But then you, you don't no, finish it and you don't know the end. No, but I do eventually. But I normally just go and replay them again and then I beat it. I mm-hmm. like that I still have a little bit of newness out yeah. there. But with Miyazaki, I think that's a really good point because yeah. it's honestly, you could be in the worst mood ever. You could have had a shit day, a sure. shit week, a shit year. If you put on a Miyazaki film, it's going to be better. But you could you could watch them and then you can rewatch them because I mean, they're do, great. I do rewatch them, but I I like I set them. missions for myself. Like I said, I'm gonna watch every single Martin Scorsese narrative film, and then I did it. Yeah. Yeah, but you know, sometimes you just need a little bit missions. of magic, and you just have it out there. Something you haven't seen. Good list, Stacy. Melanie, do you have any more lists? I'm gonna go ahead and I will say my favorite 2020 films that I saw. Yeah. And there's a lot that I didn't see. That's just a given. There's stuff that, something that I kind of had a hard time with, uh, in particular, since we didn't have a lot of bigger or blockbuster films, it was indie films that were kind of heavier. Mm-hmm. So there's a lot of heavy indie and, stuff this year. And I, just for me, for my own like well-being, there's a lot of stuff that, like, coming towards the end, I was like, oh, because I knew we were going to record this, so I wanted to fit in as much 2020 stuff as I could, and I was just like, it's all so depressing. Yeah. <laughs> like, I can't do all of this. So, from there's, with it being pre-fest that I, there's a ton I haven't seen, I want to give my three favorites sure. that I saw from 2020. So, Possessor, the uncut version, visually this film was so amazing, and I do think it's worth it to... I believe on Amazon, you can, at least in America, you can rent the Braveheart R version. It's worth it to track down the uncut. There's some imagery. I will tell you it's mostly violence and nudity, but I do think visually it's very important. Yes. Yeah, so real quick, I did watch Possessor. I liked it. I, I thought it was like a good movie. I didn't love it. I will say I did watch the R version, not knowingly, because I did rent it off Amazon a few months back. And I don't know that the... There's not that much added. I don't know that it would change your opinion. I don't know. I I honestly think like there's imagery in the uncut version that I think changes the movie. I I just think visually, mm-hmm. and I know here in our country we have a lot of debate on censorship, the rating system, sure. all of the lot. But I do think the nudity in this film it is meaningful. The violence in the film mm-hmm. it's necessary. Mm-hmm. I don't think it's any meaner than it needs to be. From what I've read, yeah. the Radar version, they scale back significantly on violence, and there's scenes yeah. in the movie that just aren't included. And I liked the movie enough. I I mean, I I went ahead and uh, bought it on... I found a, the unrated version on Blu-ray. So I went ahead and picked it up. I'm going to rewatch it. Yeah. I liked the movie enough to, like... I'm, oh, yeah. Like, yeah. I, I think it's a solid film. Mm-hmm. I just... I would say, like... I know a lot of people love it, like, I was I liked it, but there was something there 
And I'm hoping in a rewatch, maybe it'll unlock a little more for me. Yeah. Especially seeing, I, I would, I do want to see I, the uncut version. I think the uncut version will hit you more because I think there are visual moments in the uncut version that aren't in the R-rated version that are so important to the character and the mm -hmm. storytelling, especially when you're dealing with themes of identity. It's a very topical film and just where we are as a society. And yeah. I don't even mean America, sure. I mean globally. And to your point, I, Cronenberg, or Brandon, Brandon Cronenberg is a very talented filmmaker and I'm going to be interested to always see what he come out, yeah. comes out with next. He said that for visually, one of the most influential things on that film was that Clouseau documentary about Inferno. Oh, yes. Love that. They had to track down that lens that he was using. That's cool. It took him years to yeah. make the film because of that. And there's some gorgeous special effects work in I this I think film. everything in the film is in camera. It is an in-camera effects film. Yeah, it's... It's, it, it, yeah, definitely. Uh, next up, I have another round. Okay. One I did not get to see. I love Mads Mikkelsen. I love this director. Um, Thomas Vinterberg. Yeah, and he, he did The Hunt with uh, yeah. Mads a couple years back. I love that film. I think that's a better film, honestly. But this film, while I do have some issues with story stuff, I thought the acting and the humor, just it, it really did it for me. Big spoiler alert, but not really. Mads dances in this film. I could watch mm -hmm. Mads Mikkelsen dance for two hours and be thoroughly entertained. I will say, for segments for me that aren't Possessor or Top 5 Invisible Man related, like Mads dancing in this and the silly game sequence in Lover's Rock, like those two hit for me real big. Yeah. I loved it. Recommend it. Definitely watch it. Uh, if this, if you watch it, you're not a big fan, but you haven't seen The Hunt, watch The Hunt. Uh, and then kind of to round out my list, um, which I I had a hard time picking between this or Emma, mm -hmm. but I rewatched this one in the same year. Okay. So Invisible Man is my last. Mm -hmm. I, I love this film. I think if you're going to remake Universal Horror, this is the way to do it, not the way that they've done it previously. It was a very good movie the themes and how they kind of work it into the modern world. It worked for me. Such a good way to retell a classic monster story. Mm -hmm. The cast is great. The direction's great. I mean, visually, I think the way that the, the suit that they're using, mm -hmm. whenever it starts to kind of appear, I, all of the way, all of that looks digitally is so well done. I also like that. I, I joked, like, top five moments from Invisible Man, but if I was making, like, a top moments of a film, or a film from 2020, Invisible Man would probably occupy a lot of those spots. Like, in his direction, it's so good, and his action scenes look very similar to what he did before in Upgrade, but better. I gotta say, Winnell is very talented. I mm -hmm. I loved Upgrade so much. Oh, I it's love so it. good. I, I, I yeah. I am very interested all, in what this guy does next. Yeah, we are all big on action, mm -hmm. so I think it makes sense that upgrade and and the action from Invisible mm -hmm. Man definitely did it for all of us. I, I think yeah. what I what really is cool to me about Invisible Man is that they took a basically a subgenre that's dead. You know, like the adult thriller was like one of the biggest genres in the nineties. Which we covered extensively this year, yeah. Mm -hmm. This is very, this is the story from Sleeping with the Enemy. Yeah. Like, that. Mm -hmm. it is Sleeping with the Enemy. But base, better. Base level is better for 
Sleep with the enemy. It's better. Sleep with the enemy is still pretty good, though. It's still a pretty good film. Like, this Mm -hmm. movie has Mm -hmm. so many, so many moments. Not often will I rewatch a new film. Like, my rewatches tend to be because I am addicted to nostalgia. But this film, yeah, I watched it. And honestly, if you guys were like, okay, when we're done recording, we're going to watch Invisible Man, I would be down because I, this film's great. Mm -hmm. Very excited for whatever he does. Really hope that he, this is the type of person that I want to see direct a blockbuster action film. Mm -hmm. Like I, give him money. Give him money, let him do what he wants. Let him do what he wants visually. Mm -hmm. And I, I will be there with my popcorn and junior men. Don't you guys miss, like I, I was thinking about this the other day. I miss movie popcorn so bad. <laughs> the last time any of us were in a theater was in March of 2020. Yep. The, yeah. We are <laughs> people that, uh, we all kind of have routines where yeah. weekly we mm-hmm. would go see films. So it's a, it's, it's a big hole. I, I think theaters will come back from this. Since we're on the 2020 wagon here, uh, I will go ahead and name my, uh, top 10 from, uh, 2020. So I am just going to name these in alphabetical order. I Can I yay and nay? No, right, no, you cannot because I know which one. Well, actually, you haven't seen a lot of them. But, yeah. You, but the you, couple that you have, I know what your reactions will be. I Because I have one that I want to talk about that's on your list. <laughs> Absolutely. So I do want to cut in. All right. So here are uh, my 10 favorites of 2020 in alphabetical order. Uh, I've got The Assistant, directed by Kitty Green. I've got Baccarat, directed by Cliver uh Mendonca Filho. I'm sorry if I butchered your name and uh I'm sure you said it perfectly. Juliano Dornells. <laughs> uh I've got Bloody Nose Empty Pockets directed by uh Turner Ross and Bill Ross the Fourth. I've got The Five Bloods directed by Spike Lee. First Cow directed by Kelly Reichardt. The Grand Bazaar directed by Jody Mack. I'm thinking of ending ending things directed by Charlie Kaufman. Tenet, or Tenet, it matters if you're reading it backwards or forwards, directed by Christopher Nolan. Vitalina Varela, directed by Pedro Costa. And The Wild Goose Lake, directed by uh, Diao Yunin. I've only seen one of those films. Can I, can I go ahead and just say something? Yes. Okay, and I'm not ripping your list, and I, I really want to see First Cow and sure. uh, The Five I want to see Baccarat. Baccarat. Yeah. Baccarat. Baccarat. Tenet. I was excited for Tenet. I do think that Christopher Nolan's stance on some things has been messy. Sure. It's fine. It is what it is. I love that it's, he thought he was going to save everything. No matter what, we it, it's not a perfect movie. Like here, I can, okay, here, I can agree with. Here's the thing. With any take on that. <laughs> the music. I love the music. Again, I think mm-hmm. that composer. I love his work. I'm very excited for whatever he's attached to. I will see it. Love our paths. What a dream. Who can't? Who can't? Mm-hmm. Who? I'm um, excited for Batman. And David... Washington. David Washington. Yes. Denzel Washington's son. Literally, I couldn't remember his last name. David Washington, I think he... I, I like him in the film. I think, obviously, he's gorgeous. The movie... It Once you figure out what's going on with the story, fine. It's it's good and whatever. Like, it's... Fine. It's, it's fine. It is what it is. Here's I can tell thing. you... Here's the thing... I, I honestly, I guess I had, I don't often like 
set my expectations out of proportion. Like, I try mm-hmm. to keep things... I always want to like whatever I'm watching. I don't ever go in with the expectation that I think I'm going to dislike something. Sure. I wanted it to be more of a visual spectacle. I thought the way it was being talked about and other people that had seen it, the way they talked about it, I was not blown away with the action in the film at all. The reverse stuff, I didn't think it looked that good. I felt so weird about that film because there was so much that I liked about it. And then action, which I would say it was like the reverse of how I feel about most Christopher Nolan things where I think his action is great and Mm -hmm. I feel like a lot of his setup is great, but it felt like a greatest hits of his other stuff. Mm -hmm. Like it felt like a greatest hits of the dark Knight and Memento. It was very, I felt so weird when I came out of that film. I just expected it to be so much better. And I, felt so disappointed. I love that you loved it and you had a good sure, time. Sure. Like, I'm not ripping your put pick at all. Yeah. I but... think you're a crazy asshole. <laughs> well, I mean, but you're not I the just... first to say it. You won't be the last. I just was so surprised by it, you know? Sure. Now, I... The... I want to hear what you liked. Like, yeah, what the did thing it that you? kind of... You uh, silly son of a bitch. No. Well, you know, that's me in a nutshell. Uh, <laughs> the thing that uh, really struck me about the film is the... The way he really merged the, the, the sound and the image and the space. Like, I, to me, this was his best movie editing-wise. This was his best movie in rhythm-wise in the way he edited it to the musical score. And that's what really, really got me, got my... Uh... See, I think my favorite thing about it was the... I mean, apart from the acting... But I, mm-hmm. the sound mixing killed me. Sure, and, and I, I, I get and that. And I loved the music, sure. sound editing. Isn't uh, typically the score recorded after the edit is already completed, therefore the music is done to the edit of the film, not the other way around? I, I get uh, that. Yeah, I'm, he has had some bad... interesting views on how he, uh, uh, how he, he presents us. The... Uh, dialogue in his film and his last few in particular because the thing about it is it's the dialogue is important it's not like non-consequent like you need to hear what they're saying but you can barely hear what they're saying i was listening to it on a sound bar Mm -hmm. very 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 loud so i it's like everything was adjusted for theater i like it was optimal viewing experience not in the theater obviously Mm -hmm. but i i was doing it right i couldn't hear what they were saying half the Mm -hmm. time and I'll throw on closed captions, but it's like, I shouldn't have to do that for... Yeah. No, it's, it, it was weird to me. That's it's like, definitely a choice. I'll put it that way. But the music was great. I love yeah, the music. The I don't think Stacy was as big I, on music. I think the music is No, excellent. I like the music. I just... I, I was told it wasn't very Zimmerish, and I thought that there were beats where it was Zimmerish. I feel like this is the most different he's ever been with a score in his career. Uh, I and I and actually to be honest, I mean, don't get me wrong. I think Dunkirk is amazing. Like I, I like Zimmer, but like this was a nice, refreshing, a, a for fresher, him. something yeah. different, and I, I enjoyed it. And like I said, I can and and I know there. I'm sure there are people that disagree with me. That's that's fine. But like that's what really I am big on that type of thing yeah. on how rhythm and editing match up. And I thought this was the best he's ever done. 
And on a technical standpoint, that's what impressed me. And it's what made me yeah. have the reaction I did towards no, the film. No, and I love that you loved it. I'm not at all ripping it. It's sure. just, and, I, it, it is fascinating yeah. to me because we haven't talked about it sure. since I watched it because mm-hmm. you watched it earlier. Um, it is it is a divisive film. Yeah. There, there have been... It's polarizing. It is. Yeah. And to be honest, like, if I cared more about what was happening in the story or in that film, like... I, I'll be honest, like, I have no idea exactly what happened as far as Why some of the... Why did it turn the... into Call of Duty at the end? Right. Most of the... That was weird Runtime of the film mm-hmm. is exposition, though. Yeah, but what helps with me was that music is playing all the time. It never stops. And also, just the rhythms. I, I, was, I was engaged. Like, and I get, like, a lot of people weren't... The two and a half hours didn't bother me. I was, I was with it, you know? I was like... It did not... Knowing that it was a long film... Sure. It didn't feel like... I wasn't sitting there like, oh my god, we have like mm-hmm. how much more to go through. Like, I, I was still engaged where I, I wanted to, to finish the film. Mm-hmm. And you know something? It's a small thing. Whenever they are scaling that building yep. early in the film, for whatever reason, I guess just seeing like the TV spots for it, I thought that was going to be like a mm-hmm. bigger thing. And it's like, it's literally just that one shot right. of them really, it's really far yeah. away, pulled mm-hmm. back, and them just going up. Yeah. I was just really disappointed with the action, I guess. So that's what kind of took the wind out of my sails a little bit. I understand. You made a bad list, none. No, hey, you didn't. I think it's a great list, bro. There's a ton of stuff that I saw. There's no see. Invisible Man on that list. Hey, I like that movie. These are just, uh, look, we all know lists are personal. These were the 10 that hit me. I th- I by the way I think you guys should watch Baccarat because I think you will have a lot of fun with that movie. Yeah, well, I've heard of that. I it is it. a very weird uh, Baccarat and and First Western Cow type. Yeah, are, are, First Cow are is two that you I guys would like a lot. I was well. very excited for this year that I just haven't yeah. gotten to. Uh, yeah. So you know, for me, twenty twenty has been a good year in cinema. There's a lot of stuff I didn't get to. Like I would have loved to watch the Steve McQueen movies. Yeah. Um, uh, I have access to them. I just, I didn't get to it. Um, there's a lot of indies that you mentioned earlier that like, um, I need to watch, but I don't have the strength or the energy to, um, that's for me, that was you a know, really hard so, thing. So yeah, I'll, you know, I'll, I'll get to some, I know that, uh, like I said, there's a lot of movies that I didn't watch in 2020, but I'm sure I'll get around to them at some point, but I, I feel pretty good about the list of 10 that I made because I, uh, fully embrace every one of them. So. I'll leave it at that. And then, real quick, I'll get to my last list here. These, and again, I'll just name these. These are my top 10 electronic albums of 2020. Oh, shit. AKA my favorite albums to read and write to. So, these are basically electronic albums that have no words because I am the type of person that I like music, but I don't like music that I that I can just kind of zone out to when I read or write. And I do like to rewrite to music. So you live in Tron Legacy. Exactly. So these are all in alphabetical order as well. Um, and I'm going alphabetical order uh, by, I believe, I'm trying to make sure I did this right. <laughs> I believe by the by the album name, not the uh, artist. artist name. So I have uh, Annual Flowers in Color by Imaginary Softwoods. Because of a Flower by Anna Roxanne, Cincius by Nicholas Jar, Ghosts Five Together by Nine Inch Nails, mm-hmm. 
Ghosts 4, Locusts by Nine Inch Nails, Green by Hiroshi Yashimura, Holy Palm by Flora Yin Wong, Plus by Autecker, Sign by Autecker, and Telus or Telas by Nicholas Jar. Telas. Telas. So those are my ten. And Nicholas Jar. Yes, absolutely. He rocks. So Mm -hmm. if anybody needs some suggestions to listen to while you're doing your thing, there you go. Yeah, if you normally have those YouTube lo-fi beats. Yep. With the little, you know, cat image and girl studying. That's right. Those are all. Yeah. Do some Nicholas Jar. That's right. Mm -hmm. I mean, I love those lo-fi beats too. Yep. You got any other list? Um, no, I think, honestly, I think I've covered everything. I think I'm good. I had other stuff that was, that I listed out because I thought I wouldn't have enough to talk about. Little did I know I would go on a 10 minute tangent <laughs> about romance novels. So I think I'm good. My favorite middle finger of the year was <laughs> tricking Nolan into looking at the floor. That was last week. That well, last yeah. month or whatever. Last month. Two weeks ago. That was fun, to be precise. I also enjoyed uh, just normal middle finger that just made you laugh during the middle for no reason. Right. Mm-hmm. That was fun. Yeah. Um, just all the middle fingers. Yeah. I, I, I truly enjoyed every one of them. That was a lie. That was, was determined to be a lie. lie. And I hated that one. All right. Well, are we done? Are we done with lists? For, I think for 2020. I think we're good. I think we can finally put this one in the trash. We're moving on to 2021. Mm-hmm. It's a better thing. It's a better Maybe. year. And, uh, it's a different year. It's, it's starting a different off. Year. Starting off kind of mixed a little bit. A lot We've of had mix. some good. We've had some bad. Uh, so we'll just hope for the best. Uh, I just want to say uh, 2020 was a, a good podcasting year. Um, we had a good time. Uh, we thank every one of you for listening to us. And... We hope you continue. So with that being said, you can uh, find us on iTunes. You can find us on Spotify, SoundCloud uh, at Cinema Parlor. You can find us on Twitter at Cinema Parlor. Uh, you can find me personally on Letterboxd at Chuck Madden Jr. Stacy? That's Glover 84 on Letterboxd. Melody? You can find me on all the social media at Plastic Werewolf and soon to be on Letterboxd. Technically already on Letterboxd, but revamped, renewed, reinvigorated. I'm excited about this. <laughs> Letterboxd is fun. Anybody out there, like, you should join Letterboxd. It's fun. Honestly, like, I you can a, do whatever you want I with it. That's a good thing. for books. Is that Goodreads? Hey, Goodreads, yes. Is that what that is, yes. though? Because hey. people don't talk about their Goodreads hey, like hey, they hey, talk about true. their Letterboxd. Hold on, that's guys. true. Okay. We're talking about Letterboxd. Yeah. Yep. We're talking about Goodreads. Yeah. You're talking about Surfbugs. Yeah. None of those bitches are paying us. No, I know. Yeah. Well, Thank you so much for listening this year. Doing this show and like engaging with people online has been... People should talk social media and all of that stuff, but I, that has been something throughout all of this thing that's happening right now that yeah, like, there's, there's big value in it's it. It's still nice to be able to communicate with people in some yeah. form. So thank you all so much. Uh, with that being said... Good episode, guys. We'll look forward to 2021 and hopefully good things. You were talking so much and I just had to leave. Well, now you can. Thanks, everybody, for listening. Uh, I'll catch you soon. So many outros. 